supposed to be Saturday? What day is it today? Wednesday. Exactly. Alexander Falcon Screen, and we are joined by Sydney filmmaker Chris Evans. Howdy doody. And freelance writer and critic Virat Nehru. Howdy Modi. Now we are your most... Well, hang on, did we just say howdy to Modi? Do, do, do I, th- I feel like to... this is going uh, to require some further clarification uh, from you, Virat. Uh, are we? Is this, is this a thing? Is this a reference to those events a couple of weeks past in the US, which uh, weren't exactly au fait with uh, many, many around the world? I know, I know, but you know, it's it's good, it's good to know that India is doing well on the national international stage. So yeah, hey, how do you marry? How do how do you all my people out there? Between uh, so cricket, right? Yeah. So that was some heavy irony from Virat <laughs> to get us started. Because so, I, I had my hev- I had a whole heavy irony joke ready to go about the NRL Grand Final. I was going to talk about how we're the most decisive film commentators, but something like NRL referees. But instead, we're talking about Modi. Yeah. What a way to start. <laughs> film Fight Club. Film Fight Club. <laughs> so we're not going to be talking much about Modi uh, unless there's a film about Modi, which we surely will have some fun reviewing. But there have been many, unfortunately. <laughs> well, but okay, we'll not talk about them. But we are talking about Modi is not in Hustlers, I don't think, which is in cinemas. He, he is a hustler of a kind, though. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know. But he's not. He's not in the Jennifer Lopez movie because oh, I, I, I would have recognised him if he rocked up <laughs> in the context of this film, where there's a lot of otherwise uh, glamorous women, and then just Narendra he Modi would definitely walks in. steal the spotlight because he would not let Jennifer Lopez have any spotlight if he was in the movie. She was good at this, but we're going to be talking about that a lot more throughout the program. We're also going to be talking later. It was starting a movie of the week segment. And we are. It's about time. It's about time we had real fighting on the show. And to be clear, it's not just something in cinemas. It's a topic that may, the film may have been a few years old. or maybe a subject in cinema. If you have one you want us to talk about, let us know. Something that's dear to our hearts or something that we have a lot of thoughts about. Yes. And this week it is one of the best and most underrated films of the past few years. Certainly one of the best films of 2016, which is Swiss Army Man, starring Paul Dano and Daniel Radcliffe. I'd prefer if you introduced it neutrally, like we'll be discussing Swiss Army Man. Uh, so we didn't have this voice of God thing telling us that it's amazing when me and Virat are about to tag team you into oblivion with our argument about why it's not. But stay tuned for that later in the program. And if you're listening... But I, I think it's it's good to actually bring it back to the real focus of the show, which is film Fight Club, to bring yeah. back to fighting. So this the is gloves the are going to be off. Yeah, this is the segment where we finally have some fighting. And we, we may still have some fighting later in the podcast. So if, you're, if you're listening to the podcast, or if you're not, tune in, because we're going to be talking Swiss... Uh, sorry, sorry, man. Joker spoilers. So Joker is in cinemas now, but uh, we, we did our review last week, and we'll be talking spoilers in the podcast. And I told you last week, um, Gemini Man was one of the ones we reviewed last week. Yeah, so we kind of effed up a bit because we said that it opens on Thursday when actually it just had a few advanced screenings on Monday. But it Apologies does open about screw up. It opens in cinemas. Thursday. Yes, tomorrow, Gemini Man. So if you want to hear our review, it's in last week's episode. Yes, uh, it's it's interesting film with interesting opinions. Interesting, interesting tech, not so interesting script. Yeah. But this week we are talking about Hustlers, the new film from Lorene Scafaria, which had its premiere at the Toronto International Film Festival and is in cinemas tomorrow. It is produced by Anna McKay and Will Ferrell and stars Jennifer Lopez, Constance Wu, Madeline Brewer, Julia Stiles, Cardi B and a number of others. It is based on a uh, magazine piece and a number of reports of a number of adult entertainers who, following the Wall Street crash, decided to turn the tables on some of many of the men who had hit hard to be in their clients and fleece these persons uh, post 2008 and this went on for quite a number of time and a lot of the film is told in flashback uh, via the Constance Wu character relating her part of the story to a reporter played by Julia Stiles. 
man, this reporter dynamic thing, you can you see it in the trailer for A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood as well. That movie oh. is probably going to be more interestingly done because it sounds like the reporter is like a major character in the film. But for whatever reason, it seems like there's this cliche emerging of we based this film on a newspaper article or, you know, a big New Yorker piece, whatever. So therefore, we need to show the scene of the person who wrote the the journal interviewing. Yeah. Like, w- what's the point of it? Is it meant to create more, like, veracity to it? You know a great movie that didn't do this and won Best Picture? Argo. Follow that, yeah, follow no that need. example. Just put you there with the characters because if you're going to introduce a whole other layer of the story where there's this character of the interviewer, she's just going to feel shallow if you spend no time developing her. Like, who is she other than a device that allows the... the Constance Wu to like bounce between different points in time so that the movie can keep running along at a clip with no depth to it. I don't think it was a directorial choice. <coughs> Sorry. It kind of feels like more a producing kind of template purely because of the Adam McKay influence. This is a very big short inspired kind of thing. It, this is also in the big short where you, you have the reporting dynamic basically to kind of establish timelines. So I, But in this story it wasn't relevant and it wasn't really needed at all because the parts of the movie that worked really well, and I think we'll discuss it, were, you know, we can neatly divide it into two halves, and there was no point of using that as a reporting timeline to actually establish it. It's a very hackneyed and tried device, which we've seen just deployed too many times. Um, the Big Short comparison, I made the mistake of watching The Big Short a couple of weeks ago in no relation to um, watching, ha- expecting that I would watch this movie and not realizing the connection, but the two are incredibly similar and it's not just the narration style to be clear in the big short they find quite novel ways for the jared bennett character play ryan gosling the intrusions by margot robbie selena gomez anthony bourdain are quite interesting and they're memorable but this is something we've seen just played out in narrative form time and time again there's something new or novel to it i think it's disappointing i think this this isn't too much like the big short there's there's some similarity but i don't think it's it's distracting how did you find because like the big short is much I think drier and the big shot is much more ironic. Whereas this yeah. is trying to create more of like a sentimental attachment with the characters. It's more character based as opposed to the plot based. Um, but neither the plot or the characters are that developed in this movie anyway. So ultimately it doesn't matter too much. I, I just do. I find this very, to be very much like the big short and it's not just the narrative style, the fact that it's set around and with thematically tied to the 08 crash, the big short like this film follows two strands. One, it's a sort of heist thriller where characters engage in this heist and we see whether they can pull it off. But the other more consequential element of it in both films is whether they are doing the right thing, whether they're doing the wrong thing, whether they're in fact complicit. The Big Short unpacked this in great detail and weaves these thematic elements into the dialogue, whereas this only shoved it in towards the very end. Well, it's a much better film on similar subject matter. I'll give you that. I, I mean, I agree and disagree with both Glenn and Chris in this, so let me see and pack in this. So yes, I do agree it's similar to The Big Short in some senses. The sociopolitical commentary about America and how America's excess culture and materialism, I think is very similar. The ironic take that we have about you know, uh, the moral ambiguity of whether or not uh, fleecing people who are rich and taking back from them is actually a good thing or not. The way those scenes are played out in this very sort of you know hyper-realistic take and style with the super slow-mo, <coughs> super slow-mo scenes and the people just, uh, you know, having this excess culture and those scenes really dragging out. I think that was really interesting and really fun. And I think that's where the movie does come alive in the second half in those sequences. Uh, but where the movie actually, 
I struggle with this because it is a movie of two very different styles trying to balance it out, but it never quite does it. In the first sort of first quarter of the film, it is trying to be a bromance kind of a movie where I think it really bromance. does Bromance? Uh, I mean, <laughs> you know. It's, it's, it's a movie about female friendship, you mean, right? Sorry, sis- sis- yeah, sisterhood. Yeah. That's the right word for it. Uh, and, you know, it is very much, y- it's not as much about sociopolitical commentary as much as, you know, camaraderie. And I think that's where the movie... I thought the movie would go, and it eventually just you know, does the, a no, the movie take. The movie decides that actually it was all about the sisterhood and the friendship at the, at the end. But yeah. I'm not convinced because the characters were never that developed up until that point. Yeah. And on top of that, given the scope the, and the territory this film's just sh- waded through, and wade is the right word because of how shallowly it addresses every one of its subjects, when this ending rolled around, I thought, really? That's the takeaway about this story because the obvious conflict here is, as Virat just mentioned before, the moral question of whether what we're doing is okay. And the movie is so, I think, and this is my main problem with it, it's so determined to be liked and it's so all about making an entertaining fun time at the movies that it just skips along everything. So when it comes time for the the characters to question, are we doing the right thing or not? The movie almost makes light of it with like turning it into a joke moment where she brushes off talking about drugs to Julia Stiles and Julia Stiles is like, hang on, that's that's a really messed up thing. Tell me, you know, do you guys remember the scene I'm talking about? I, I do, yeah. But it's like, no, we need to engage with that question more seriously because then later on when, it, when the film decides to... Um, introduce moral doubt at right on cue for the act break. It's very late in the piece. Yeah, and and it's right on cue for the act break. The movie was never, was interested in giving you the fun escape of people robbing people, right? And dressing that up as a fun experience. And then the suddenly right on cue, all at once, with all with one character, the moral weight of uh, we might have been doing a bad thing comes in. And then at the end of the movie, we're not even going to spend the rest of the time reckoning with that. We're just going to end on, but, you know, the sisterhood, the friends we made along the way are important. <laughs> no, this, this is high-level yeah. crime. Yeah, it's, it's This not, isn't just, like, getting by. This is, like, high-level. Yeah, it's not the credit card theft and the kind of fur coats we bought. It's the friends we made along the way that really matter. So it's, this, yeah. this is damaging people's families, people's mortgages. When that's introduced, I think it's too late in the piece. So, sorry, Glenn. And, and, and to be clear, and I... I appreciate that they are distinct films, but talking about the big short, the loose states, what is lacking in this film. There's yeah. literally a scene where uh, the Michael, not Michael Burry, the Mark Baum character played by Steve Carell says, people will lose jobs, people will lose houses, families will be torn apart because of this. They unpack it throughout the film. Um, I actually disagree with the point you made. I found the first act of this most interesting. I found when we were just I getting to enjoy just this the, world. Just the camera gliding through the strip club world and looking at the way that the strippers interact with each other. I agree. It was the best part. I would have preferred a just more down-to-earth movie with those characters. But because it never wants to stay down in that world with them like it was at the introduction once they start committing their crimes because that would mean making a morally challenging movie and that wouldn't be giving you the, this like slickly entertaining movie that bounces from moment to moment to moment with pop songs and montages. It's just not interested in, in being as deep as it has to be. And let's be clear, these sequences are beautifully shot, and while it doesn't try to engage in moral questions as it does later in the film, they do go into the basic morality of this sort of profession yeah. and the impact it has it's on not individuals. like it's not there at all. And the slice-of-life aspect, it's gorgeous to watch Jennifer Lopez. A lot has been made of her performance. It is her best performance to date. She's exceptional not just in the seats of physical endurance, but in her performance moments. And the best scene in the film, it's the signal for the end of the first act, is a hilarious and actually quite moving one, 
counterintuitively involving a prominent musician who makes a cameo, and it's it's really it's, good. Yeah, it's fun. Um, but just nothing going, nothing ends up feeling developed at all in this. Like the the relationships between the characters. Yes, I mean uh, part of, part of the problem I had with it is you know uh, the main relationship dynamic we have is between Constant Blue and Jennifer Lopez's characters. That never feels like a real relationship to me. No. It never kind of feels like... Because we never, you know, and this is something we were discussing, you know, from the point of view. It's just told from Constant Booth's point of view, the film. But yeah, Why I wasn't I it told exactly. from Jennifer Lopez's point exactly. of view? Is it because she's more of a psychopath? Is it because there's one more layer of remove? I don't know. But, but the thing is, you know, we never quite understand... As an audience observer character. Yeah, we never quite understand the motivations behind uh, Ramona, which is Jennifer Lopez's character as to why she's doing what she's doing and how it progresses. And how much she's questioned it. How, much, how much does she care? Exactly. And she's always this sort of, you know, she's interesting as a character. She's probably given the most screen time as well and she's the most developed character. And mm. yet, it's interesting that it's not. Yeah. Uh, she's the most developed, underdeveloped character, if it makes any sense. Well, to, to draw a comparison with another film, which uh, is focuses on a similar issue, but Wall Street 30 years past, um, is, is Wall Street, the Oliver Stone film. You look at the Bud Fox, Gordon Gecko dynamic, where it's not, at least in the first act, it's not a similar dynamic between Ramona and the Constance Wu character. But there, we learn, get exposed to Gordon Gecko's private life. We learn a little bit more about his motivations, where he's coming from, and we get to see very clearly where Bud well, is coming from. Well, the difference from. is that that was a focused character drama, whereas this film is trying to do too many things. If for a film that says at the end, oh, it was actually all about the, the characters and the relationships between them, we don't really get to see the relationships in you know anything more than like the shallowest kind of perspective um we don't get to follow it from the procedural level that it also seems to be trying to go for where it's sweeping you along with you know uh the the turns in the plot like when suddenly they say that the strip clubs changed post-crisis and the russians are now um running the club and they're okay with these side scams i think okay i want to see the scenes where the where we talk to the new boss and we understand how this this process works so it, it doesn't succeed on the level of, of like procedural how this thing happened how people got to that point level it doesn't succeed as a character thing um it yeah it, it just it I then mean, tries to add another layer of relationship with the reporter it's just trying to juggle too many balls in the air because it wants to be fast moving and fun and be all things to all people and it's really a jack of all trades situation i'm wondering how much and this is a speculation i'm wondering how much of this film was you know change around in post it seems like it's a very producer driven movie yeah but, but also not a producer driven from a point one i think the director was starting to make a different kind of film which it's very evident until the first act and then producers saw rushes yeah. well, we're well, just well, speculating we're speculating but let's talk about um and mckay's hallmarks and how they translate yeah, to this and, film and, and the, the now there are, are yeah. a lot of moments in this which are lifted straight from the stylings of the big short, like the irreverent style, the, the things that are drawing attention to the filmmaking craft. There's a moment, I don't know if it was added post for legal purposes, but there's a moment, and it's only one in the film where a character's name is bleeped out, and that's something, those sort of stylistic intrusions, Fourth again, wall kind of breaking. were more consistent in other movies. Well, here, it's just, oh, we want to put a bit of this here, I'll put a bit here to remind you of other films that you also like that aren't quite like this. There's an, I feel like there's this new kind of genre emerging and the big short and, and vice to a lesser extent are probably two of the better examples of it. But um, the, the movie I would in this new genre that I would compare more to Hustlers than the big short is post, American, post -ironic, post -ironic. American Hustle ah, in that yeah. it's it's 
got the, this ve- vaguely post Scorsese kind of style of like the Goodfellas montages, but mixed with like a music video kind of yeah. slickness and shallowness. So it's just constantly bouncing you along from moment yeah. to moment with a voiceover. So, and it's about giving you as many fun situations mm. as possible, as opposed to you deepening like, the characters. You of American Hustle? I, no, I didn't. Okay. No, no, I, I did I, not I like American Hustle. And, and this, this is a much better movie than American Hustle because it at least yep, has something to the characters. Unlike in American Hustle, yeah. But it's kind of disturbingly similar. It's it, you know this just like give him a fun time, string it together like oh, a, like an ad. Boston music Legal Riverdale. They'll show them with this great bum, montage bum, of them walking down the street and just yeah, it's flash. so slick. We need these for the ads. It's, and here's and there's the the De Niro yeah. voiceover. <laughs> anyway, it's ironic because you know these sort of films are trying to comment upon the excess and materialism in American culture while celebrating and, it. And yeah, and, and doing it in a way which actually celebrates it because. The only way to seem to be able to get across the message is through this hyper-realistic, fast-paced... And as you were saying when we came out of the screening, you're, yeah. s- you're still going to get the same kind of like sexualizing shots that in, in this film. Oh, okay. Well, that's another matter we need to, I think we should touch yeah. on. And there's, I think, I can't remember where the... It might have been... I can't remember the publication, but there's an excellent piece worth looking up, or generally, on the matter of how the film was shot... I don't believe the characters in this film are over-sexualized. I think it's elegantly shot for the most yeah, part. Yeah, I don't think so either. And it's and it's well, and, you, and you, there's a great temptation for any director, any studio-driven film, to have a lot of these really flashy shots and really gratuitous shots, especially when you're set in these environments. But they don't do that. And there's a and as I alluded to earlier, there is certainly a debate which can play out in this film and has played out of films set in like environments as to whether this profession is degrading or empowering. To what extent it is either, and the camera work. Um, leans in one direction, but the film, for all the tracks we have discussed, does explore this and does unpack this at the most part in the first act, in the dynamic again between Ramona and the Constance Wu character. But again, I think it does so too shallowly. Oh, I, th- I would like to see more in it for sure. Much more. But they do uh, address if it the film to a great degree. was going to be made with this kind of style, I think it would have worked mm. better as a TV show. Yeah, and I, and I think part of the problem with the film is that stylistically, it just doesn't know where it stands. I think stylistically, it's trying to do. The first act is a completely different film, and then it turns into a heist film, which is far removed from what it's trying to do. And then, yeah, it comes back into this kind of you know sisterhood message towards the end, which is then again, you know, I was like, this was lost. The, yeah, emotionally, morally, um, stylistically, it's confused. But yeah, great performance by Jennifer Lopez. So. Uh, yeah, and yeah. it's she's she's great. All the plaudits she's got for this, she well deserves. Good on her. Yeah. yeah. She so was really good. So that is Hustlers. It is in the cinemas tomorrow. We'll be back talking about Society Man on Film Fight Club in a minute. Stay tuned. Discover Sydney's unique cultural history through the eyes and ears of 2SER. We've opened up our archives to the public in our very own exhibition so you can explore the quirky stories of characters that have made up this beloved station since 1979. Learn about the city's first queer radio program or the time the Bomb Squad was called to the studios. Check it out all for free at 107 Projects in Redfern from October 10 to 20 or head to 2SER.com slash 40th birthday for more information. 2SER celebrating 40 years of supporter-funded radio. In the House Cult Film Classics returns to Event Cinema's George Street on October 21st, screening coming-of-age classic The Outsiders. I'll tell you something, funny boy, and it might come as a surprise, but things are rough all over. Do not miss your favourite cult classics back on the big screen, now on Monday nights. Hosted by the Movie Nerds. Check the full film list and grab tickets at eventcinemas.com.au. Event Cinema's George Street sponsors 2SER. Poetic 
moving and immersive. Their Sea is Always Hungry is a new solo exhibition by Australian Balinese artist Layla Stevens at UTS Gallery. The exhibition explores Bali's hidden histories, tracing the present-day impact of Indonesia's 1965 anti-communist massacres and the rise of Bali as an island paradise in the popular imagination. Head to art.uts.edu.au for more information. UTS Art, where creativity and technology meet, sponsors 2SER. Hey, it's Brendan from the Teskey Brothers, and we want to wish 2SER a very happy 40th birthday. Cheers, guys. We absolutely love our supporters at 2SER. To give back, we have regular supporter-only giveaways with tickets to gigs, movies, the theatre, exhibitions and more. Look out for 2SER e-news in your inbox to see what you could win. Stories, ideas, music and free stuff. You win! On the Money is recommended for mature audiences only. It may and probably will contain explicit financial language, strong business themes, economic violence, coarse financial accounting, nudity, and credit references. 2SCR recommends discreet listening once per week at 7 p.m. Thursdays. Welcome back to Film Fight Club with that glorious, glorious tune from Human Clay. It's an appropriate uh, song to bring in our Movie of the Week segment for two reasons. One of which is because we're going to take you higher. And the other reason is because liking Swiss Army Man, our first Movie of the Week, is like liking Creed, the band, not the film. Creed, Creed, Creed are great. And also Creed See was part what of the I soundtrack mean? for um, <laughs> the follow-up for one of the Swiss Army Man director's the Death of Dick Long, which we talked about earlier in the year. Not as good as was Iron Man. Not nearly yes, as good. Both movies are not good, period. <laughs> let's <laughs> you saw Dick let's, let's let's discuss, let's discuss Swiss Army Man. Swiss Army Man. Movie of the week. So an anecdote before we go into the plot of this film. A few years ago this had its world premiere at the Khan Film Festival. Nashan Moodley, the Sydney Film Festival director, was there and he told us that Wasn't it a Sundance movie? Sorry, it was Sundance, excuse me, yeah, it was Sundance. Yeah, and then it showed at Khan in the sidebar, I think. So apparently at the world premiere, or where he was at, half the audience got up and walked out, half the audience stayed, and half who stayed cheered and loved it. Certainly at the Sydney Film Festival screening, I was at it was the Australian premiere. The entire audience stayed. They had an uproarious time. This was the 2016 entry from... I, I see, I'm sorry, you're, you look shocked and dismayed. I was like... Nobody walked out in Sydney. Were you there? Who was but that? The just that's yeah. just Sydney for you. Like people are gonna walk out on mass if you show Inland Empire, but they're yeah. going to stay for Swiss Army Man. But the rabbits, and that's the rabbit. And that's what's wrong with Sydney. So having premiered at the Sydney Film Festival in 2016 is Swiss Army Man, the film from Daniels, as they were credited, Dan Kwan and Daniel Scheinart, and starring Daniel Radcliffe, the third Daniel, and someone not. But he's not. Not, no, he wasn't. Not yeah, was Daniels is just the two. They make music videos and mu- and commercials, I think. But they wouldn't credit Dan Radcliffe as the third Daniel or Paul Dano, which isn't really Daniel. They, he only got the first starring credit and the whole reason for the publicity of the movie because this was basically sold as the farting Harry Potter movie. <laughs> like Harry Potter plays a farting corpse. Very which unsold. is pr- pretty accurate, I guess. You know, Now that I think about it, that's probably a better representation of the movie than anything else. Glenn, There's a lot more going on and starring Mary Elizabeth Winstead. Yeah, in a pretty thankless role. Glenn, I hated this film, and I am always puzzled when you talk about how much you loved it. So let's hear some reasons. Yeah, b- before we take convince, it down. Convince me. Yeah. yeah, no, don't. 
Convince me. I, I, I adore this movie. I've spoken previously about it, so I'm going to talk a little bit about why I loved it, and then I want to hear properly what everyone else did think of this. I loved it for multiple reasons. I should just explain the plot briefly. It is about a character played by Paul Dano, Hank, who uh, we meet on a desert island and we know is suffering through a very difficult time mentally, emotionally, and comes across Daniel Radcliffe's a corpse played by Daniel Radcliffe. Who with whom? It's not Daniel Radcliffe's corpse. No, no, it's that's, that's a what corpse I said. called Manny. I, I said a played corpse by played Radcliffe. by Daniel Radcliffe. Yes, the character is called Manny, <laughs> and he develops a relationship with this character throughout the film. Yes, that is a strange subject what it actually happens. I adore this for many reasons. It is a very creative movie from a visual standpoint. It is a very unusual film from an emotional standpoint. It deals with issues of mental illness and mental health in a way that you don't often see dealt with in film, and I feel that is deceptively clever and mature. I would also say that it unpacks ideas of filmmaking itself and reflexivity of cinema in some of the creations which the characters jointly embark on. Whoa, okay. (laughs) (laughs) I mean... It it, it unpacked indie cliches. Of course, at the time, after Be Kind Rewind, suddenly every indie movie wanted to have the cutesy scene where the characters make a a little, oh, it's like a Hollywood movie, but they don't have any budget. So there'd be things like... me and Earl and the Dying Girl, where they would you, you would sh- see their their sh- like control Chris. dodgy. Let, let, let Glenn this have is this is the year after Me and Earl and the Dying Girl. I like know. This was all this is already old. Let let Glenn have his say. Be kind rewind came out like ten years earlier. It okay. doesn't mean it's very different from Be kind rewind. Excuse me, and it doesn't mean that you can't have creative recreations of films that are much loved. And it was it's very distinct. I'm just they saying it was a cliche of the time. So you know, this but film was novelty. full of film. Well, this film was full of cliches. But anyway, go on. No, no, I've. I've said it very base what I feel about the film. I will also note that the performances are very good. It's probably my favourite from Paul Dano, bar what I still think, uh, bar um, There Will Be Blood. It's mm. one of my favourite films of the past. No, I, I think it was better in the Beach Boys. Ruby, Ruby Sparks also, yeah, he oh, gave yes. a really good yeah, performance. Yeah, he was good in that. And he al- he's always good in Little Miss Sunshine. Yeah, and, and he, yeah he's good in movies. But it's more about, imaginary and more about why this is bad. And also <laughs> Daddy Radcliffe's best performance today. Th- this movie is, yes, it visually striking, and I'll give props to the cinematography. But again, I saw it as visually a mashup of a bunch of, of cliches. It's like Moonrise Kingdom crossed with Where the Wild Things Are with the like furry hand-put-together um, outfits crossed with anything touched by Michelle Gondry with like the handmade aesthetic um it, it makes sense that they come from a music video background to idolize like Spike Jones and Michelle Gondry's style so much um yeah but but like, it, it, it also though it resembles like it resembles ads and yes. they're always talking about products and ads yeah this isn't completely they're underlining commercialism guys yeah, but in a celebratory way, essentially. I Which don't is, think there was any... They're not saying go out and see Jurassic Park. They're no, saying you should unpack saying... the emotion behind these films. The reason they're focusing on the Laura Dern scene where she looks up and wonder at the stegos- yeah. stegosaurus, the brontosaurus. Yeah, but hang on. I, I, yeah, I got I, that. I, I think we need to be consistent. You can't uh, blame hustlers for unpacking commercialism by celebrating it and I'm having not, an I issue with it. I don't say hustlers did that. Yeah, well, we, yes, we, we did. I think we just no, no, went No, no, you may it. have. That wasn't my issue with uh, the movie. Okay. Uh, okay. Cool, cool. Okay. This, I, I think we're backtracking. This movie is, is built around this, like, basically farting gag and then, like, bodily function humor. Yeah. And at first, it's so juvenile that it's kind of funny. And I think the reason it registers as kind of funny at first is just because we're not used to seeing Austin Powers shot like an indie movie and scored <laughs> that way with, like the indiest soundtrack of all time so it still registers as kind of funny like are they in on the joke is this is this like not just like regular fart humor is it yeah. it's ironic but then the surprise goes away 
and it's like, what do you guys have to offer? And they've tried to create the surprise of presenting something that seems juvenile, but then having something meaningful to say about life. But then for all the, the time that the characters stop to like discuss the meaning of things, the only thing that the movie comes out, up with ultimately is like carpe diem, don't be afraid to be yourself. It's a lot more than that. There's a well, lot more what do you, well, what do you, Are we going to talk about... We're yeah. going to talk about spoilers for this film. In the right? podcast, yeah. yeah which... we're, about to, we're about to wrap up here, but um, the segue for that, I guess, is that I view the kind of um, be yourself theme really tone deaf given the way that this plot turns out. I mean, I it's I a lot have, more detailed than I have that. major issues in how it deals with grief and mental illness, and you know, and you couple that with this kind of very simplistic cop ADM message, and that's even worse. I think there's a so. lot more of the messages that film was trying to affect. In terms of the purility, I compare it to Trey Parker and Matt Stone's handle the issue, not just South Park, but some of their other films, where but they've used similar gags to underline more profound ideas, but without the preachiness that is in almost every single South this Park film was very is, preachy. As South Park got better, it moved away from just endless fart jokes. They would try and find more extreme and funnier contexts for the scatological humor. Oh, I don't know. I've been watching it lately on Netflix, and it's still growing it's, that set mining that same mine they, yeah it, it it's not at its best they still do but i don't know I, I just feel like there's enough variety in the scenarios in south park whereas i really got sick of this so we'll be back on the podcast continuing the podcast talking all things society man all things <laughs> Welcome back to the Film Facts and Podcast, where we're talking, as Chris alluded to, all things Society Man and soon Joker spoilers. I found it interesting at the time how divisive this film was. Remember speaking anecdotally? Swiss Army Man? Yes. Is, yeah. Oh, Joker's the... I, I find it Joker is coming uh, later! <laughs> Joker is too. We just used as intro segue music to this podcast discussion the version of the Jurassic Park theme. Uh, hummed in their inimitable so-so indie way by Manchester Orchestra, who provided the score for this indie tw- uh, quirk fest. I'd recommend actually listening to the entire score. The version of Cotton Eye Joe is much better, and it's actually just good, easy listening, just to chill out to. Okay. Did you just uh, say good, easy it, listening? It, yeah, what? yeah. If, what? You, if you're not feeling like the high intensity of Creed, this is great. Look, no, this, I, this made me oh sound no, like I'm elevated music. Like, what are you talking about, man? I can't. To me, the whole soundtrack, the way that it comments on the film and the fourth wall breaks, the way that occasionally you see the characters singing along to it, and everything's a montage. Um, oh god! Do, do, you remem- just, do you remember I, that scene where they they sort of action role play out uh, Paul Dano's fantasy? I do, I do. I can't wait uh, to get into that. But but first, <laughs> I was just going to say about the way that music is done and a lot of the tonal devices in this film. I can't stand films where a big part of the message is look at how clever we are. And the score that's interrupting to comment on things that are happening with like singing along and then merging that into pre-existing songs like Cotton Eye Joe, it's just like, oh God, I get it, you're, you're clever. I don't think the film was trying to impress this clever, I think it is clever. Um, on the matter of how... The Maybe you're just easily impressed, man. I'm but the thing <laughs> wow, wow. <laughs> so we're getting the, the personal the thing is, rather than dividing the film. But, okay, interesting. But the thing is, this film, going back to what I said about the brand stuff, I have to admit this thought isn't an entirely original idea by me. I, as I sometimes do when there's a film where I really hate it and it's hard to read reviews where people agree, I look through some of the lowest rated letterboxed reviews and there was one that commented... Those actually, it actually can be quite an exercise. Yeah, that they um, compared it to Baudrillard's simulation hypothesis. 
in saying that like everything is connoted by brands in this movie. And I <laughs> thought about that as I rewatched it. And I so it's not just brands, but it's also devices tied to branding, like some of the little montages that make moments in this film play out like ads. Oh yeah, it is an advertising gimmick, essentially. The whole it's movie an extended ad. The whole movie it like it's not just that in the plot the characters discuss their feelings and themes and thoughts through talking about brands, but the movie's also shot like an ad. Like it's yeah. like montage time. It's like we're making yeah. popcorn now. We've got the kitchen shots of popcorn bursting, and all of this means I'm not there with the characters, which even yeah. if the writing was good enough to bring me there, the way that the the style is so slick and cleverly constructed around commercial yeah. gimmicks. But but you can almost see it on a crossed story- with indie cliches. But it's weird because you can almost see it on a storyboard level. You can see like you yes, know, you know, scene one, then scene two. Yes, you can see. You, know, you can see. The I was real. I was thinking this is so storyboarded when I was watching it, and when I learned that the score was composed in advance for in advance for them to play on the set, exactly. I, I was like, you, you can see like how it's like now insert score in yeah. scene four, so, act five. So yeah. it's so for a movie that's been that precisely planned out visually it's unforgivable to me that sometimes things are kind of like w- when he discovers new powers from the swiss army man it's it sometimes great it gets title, introduced it is a great title it gets introduced in these montages yet it's still kind of unclear what's happened like when he, he just snaps the corpse's fingers to create fire and i was like what i had to rewind because it's so poorly visually telegraphed and how can you you screw that up when you've pre-planned everything to the nth degree. But but that's the thing. It, it screws it up because, firstly, it doesn't know. I mean, when you're talking about... Okay, it's a comment about how Paul Dana's character is dealing with his own grief and he discovers different ways of dealing with it. So the powers of this corpse are essentially his way of coping with grief or finding out new powers of his own selfhood. We're going to spoil this movie, by yeah, the way. This is, a, this is a spoiler. We'll have a spoil. This is a spoiler discussion. From now on, yeah. everything's spoilers. Everything, but there's nothing to spoil. This movie is like full Absolutely of... Absolutely not true. This, this movie is like mostly like spoiled dirt, essentially, so there's nothing to spoil. But anyway, uh, it, 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 part of the problem is, you know, and uh, let's lean into that because... Paul Dano, uh, how does it... Okay, firstly, I want to hear from Glenn because he, he, he mentioned that this movie is a very mature take on mental illness and dealing with grief. I want to know why first, and then we can counteract that. Okay, there have been three d- it's, I think major issues raised with this film. Let's do one by one. First of all, I don't believe this film was about grief. I believe this film was mental illness. There's a very important distinction to be made here. True. Um, I, I want to return to that later, though, because I want to address, in short respect, two of the points that have been raised. One is the matter of music and how this film is a simulacrum, a term I love using, of life. Uh, to go onwards on the sure. Baudrillard comment. Simulacrum. <laughs> it's a, yeah, well, it is. Like, that's what this film let's is going hear, for. Let's hear, let's hear it. On the matter of commercialism, this film, I don't believe it's shot like that. I think it's drawing attention to the motifs that are resplendent and pervasive throughout popular culture. I don't think it's trying to celebrate them. I think it's trying to subvert them. Really? You yeah. think that the movie, the whole movie is is clearly going for a celebratory party vibe? I don't think it's trying to say commercialism is good. I think it's trying to say this is how commercialism has alienated this individual. Here's the things he's taken from it and how he's trying to subvert it but for those his are own actually, more creative ends. No, those are actually the things that guide him home. I think the movie is is yeah, not what, actually what, making appro- any... Once he's appropriated them, which is a very important distinction to be made. I don't think that the movie is um, 
may i think it's just playing in that like i said be kind rewind that kind of like let's play with popular culture thing but the thing is it's not it's it's not about really about commercialism it just it's about a person needing to go home it just reflects commercialism so thoroughly in the way that it's been made that that it's like how do we relate because it's really it's about it is entirely no but in the movie they're basically talking about we're going to go go home and home is a place where she's where Cheese we're, puffs we're all, are we're, we're home is a place where all yeah, yeah all these commercial things around us. He's trying to go home. He's trying to long for an existence, which he clearly, as we learn later in the film, he has not had for a very long time. It's very different. He he he, cre- he creates and associates that with a childhood of this commercialism, which he's obviously rejecting now. Which many people hang do. on. He's reject what? No, he's can rejecting. you explain to me how he rejects commercialism? I, I think he embraces it. If anything else. Right. I think he appropriates it. It's That's not that doesn't mean rejecting. That's that if anything is another way of celebrating your place in that culture. Because I he's th- he's mostly using these things to pay spirit pay tribute to the spirit of the original things. Like cheese puffs are good because they're tasty. Think about these nostalgic moments that you might have had with your mother involving yeah. cheese puffs. Jurassic Park is is great and inspiring how how great because is the Jurassic I, Park but music? But it reminds me of the time that I was safe and home. When, and yeah. When you appropriate something, you to an extent self-actualize. You create something that is of your own. Using the Jurassic Park example, um, Jurassic Park is being commodified and commercialized, as we have seen even more since this film came out. He has taken the bare bones of this film. He took a very key scene, the scene where Laura Dern and Sam Neill see the Brontosaurus and the wonder of that he's, and he used ta- it for an indie indie dress up in party same, with costumes from where the wild things are yes effects from michelle Gondry in movies and ads way with popcorn if it's there's no use or it could just be ads. a bunch of cliches it's, he's taken the pure joy of opening a popcorn pop- packet and but but, okay, but, but he's furthering but if on. the way that you depict the raw joy is instead of being about taking you down to like a person's physical sensations yeah. of like the feeling of popcorn yeah. and the packet and that, but the way that, but the images that have already been sold to us through okay. commercial campaigns, yes. it's just, just keeping the movie at a surface level where it's all about. Hang on, I, Glenn, I need to ask add you images. This. Yeah, slickness. I, I need to ask you this: Do you think, I think it's, it's just like images? Do, do you think, with popcorn? dude, the popcorn image yeah. is so slick? It's literally a black a studio with studio about, lighting. I think it's about as slick and slow as the motion. popcorn image we filmed for our logo. Please go look that up yeah, now. Okay. The, got, yeah, the, but and, and, and again, this, has been, this has been filmed in yeah. in a studio with a high frame rate camera and studio lighting, and it when when suddenly no longer in the woods, we're like watching the popcorn pop in front of a in yeah. front of a. a green screen or uh, something no, no, it's actually, down uh, to no, pure I, 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 that pure intrinsic enjoyment I, I, I need to understand this because, because from what you're coming from Glenn but is, is it's the, idea. the same techniques for creating enjoyment that ads use yes. and the movie still uses uh, them in a celebratory context so it, I feel it like so the movie is just furthering this kind of like ad not commercialism okay hang on so this is the question I have for you Glenn do you think Coca-Cola is selling you a product or it's selling you happiness Self-actualization in this movie because is filtered co- through the techniques of ads yeah. in terms of how because it's visually depicted because for, the, because for the character and in co- terms of literally the events that in the plot. Accor- according to Coke, they don't sell soft drinks. They sell you happiness. Do you believe that? Or, or you, are you cynical enough to understand that they're selling you a product through the lens of All right, this why, is why, getting... Why, why, why don't I drink soft drinks? But uh, I... I'm sure Glenn knows that Coca-Cola isn't literally selling you happiness. But, but, but the way he's talking yes. about pure joy this and movie, the feeling of nostalgia, but I, I think he's not understanding. To me, I just like, didn't see those things being related in a way that, that is, I guess, to me, evokes those feelings. To me, I saw it related in a way that, to me, evokes ads. But but even even though when they do evoke Like everything's filtered But I don't think it's trying to be derivative of ads. No, it, it just is. Uh, absolutely, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely, 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 absolutely not. It's... 
My turn. He, with, we've been exposed to these images our whole lives. We've talked in this episode and the other episodes how people use base storytelling language um, willy-nilly. For once, someone has come along and used it in a different sphere. They've used it to attempt to tell a different story. They've used it to tell an individual story rather than something not just mass commercialism, but mass consumption and mass group mass group thing which which advertising does try to promote and try which which it tries to pervade our lives this is going for something so distinct he's literally a person to use the metaphor out you know out of the woods which has been used in so many where the wild things are and what else but the thing and is here moonrise kingdom oh so great film that, that's also such a cop-out i mean this this is this is the worst base form of you know self-help therapy that that the film can actually go for it's not even i don't think that's making, what it's going for making making a serious point about therapy. mental, mental illness okay it is saying that he needs help there's nothing in this film that says that this guy can get by on his own but there's nothing in the film that communicates that this uh, this person can actually get resources that can actually get him any kind of actual help. Uh, absolutely is there is the whole ending of the film is about people acknowledging okay this individual needs help and support um the father to an extent recognizing okay wait a minute i haven't been attentive to my son the people surrounding him, even the mary elizabeth winstead character who barely knows his figure realizing okay this person that was that was creepy okay let's talk about how creepy yeah okay, we, 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 we can the get the movie into that, is fantastically a, creepy for a number of reasons yes it, it absolutely is but not in ways that are intended Okay, that that I will grant you. But but let's talk. About, I was want to talk about the production design, which was brought up earlier. Before we go into the themes, in addition to what was just raised of mental illness, which is a major aspect of this film, the production design and the pacing of this film, I really enjoy. If you watch it carefully, you look at the beginning of the film. It takes place on an island. It evokes that classic adage: "No man is an island." And then from there, <laughs> oh, wow, that's that's okay. Yeah, it absolutely does. And yes, it's a little blatantly symbolic to that effect, but it certainly does. And from there, we get a much clearer idea of the environment he's in. And as the film, as he moves towards going back to society and to other people, the storytelling language, the pacing of the film changes from a very stream of consciousness approach and a dreamlike approach, which is intended because it is very much taking, a lot of this is very much taking place in his head, to something yeah. that is more based in reality. You don't often see that, and I appreciate it very much how the filmmakers did this. Because usually you see it in the reverse. Usually you see a, a person, a character, who's, and all their interactions are based very much in reality, and things slowly escalating. But we see the inversion of that here. I didn't see that in a lot of movies, and I really like that. Okay. I think... We d yeah, we do get the reveal of, oh, maybe everything isn't as, as this guy seems. Maybe, you know, reality creeps into the movie more. But I feel like the film isn't bold enough to actually t make the changes that would be necessary to really bring this back to reality in terms of the themes and where our, our sympathies lie. Because the film basically stays on side with uh, Paul Dano's character. I mean, even after such a cop-out. It, ba it, ba it cop basically stays on his side, which... Um, in, in that the very final note of the film is like the triumph, right? Of um, his beliefs yeah. being validated. You can say, yeah, it's a fantasy. But not be beliefs. I mean, he, like he, his he's spirit. His spirit, his worldview. Um, the way he sees the world as a person who suffers from mental illness. That it's something that's meant to be understood and appreciated um, and not reviled or rejected. That is the key point the end of the no, film was making, and it's very profound. It's not a point you see made or covered in a lot of cinema. It's, it's not but profound the, the at all. Thing is, but that's the thing: the film is talking in platitudes of you know either celebration or repulsion. Yeah. But sometimes there needs to be a middle ground of like 
you can be still wrong in both attitudes and need to be recognized that you know this is not a healthy way of living in society. Oh, it does yeah, recognize the movie that. It absolutely recognizes this man needs help. There's no, no, no question. Yeah, he Needing definitely help, needs help, but to but end the note on oh, celebrating the yes, fighting exactly. corpse that, and this whole adventure, it, it, it's, it's almost kind valid, of weird. Validating with, his point of view. Which given re- that which reverts again to the South Park approach of using a thing that is pure, something that people would normally reject, and yes, the extreme version of that, to unline what can still be profound and understood. And but th- this movie, I, I think, has... I, I, d- I don't think this is intended, and it'll take a while to validate this if I can, so hear me out. This film has kind of misogynistic underpinnings. The ho- whole adventure, yes, which turns out to be, yes, founded on a delusion, is this kind of, like, boy's adventure we want to date the girl if only I'd spoken to her thing, which yes, does get subverted to some extent at the end when he, he comes there and it's like, she's got a family. She doesn't want him. There's no romantic um, resolution coming here. And he is uh, on TV as the weird guy who's bringing the corpse around. And the fact that he's been a stalker has been revealed. So yeah, it does work on that level, but the style of the movie is still kind of in his, in his head yeah, as it's, he it's escapes still celebrating yeah. the fact that you know he's made it home. That exactly, he's actually, there is this triumph element that he's. But found, to me, oh, he's the reveal of what he'd done is so distracting that I am not willing again to then ride with this guy down the hill with the corpse and give him this moment of triumph where the corpse smiles back at him. Everything to do with the corpse and whatever's been going on in his head, I'm not interested in in from now on. I'm not interested in indulging that. It comes across as immature. And ultimately at the end, when Mary Elizabeth Winstead, let's remember her she her her daughter has just such a raw deal. She gets such a raw deal. Her daughter has just seen a corpse, right? It's messed up. And and run away and yeah, yeah, but at the end, it's kind of the, when the triumphant music playing and the smile. We're on podcast, so I can swear. Mary Elizabeth Winstead says, "What the fuck?" And it's kind of played as a laugh moment because suddenly the way that these people, the way that this guy has just come in and yeah, right. thrown a lot of garbage yeah. into her life R- rather, is now yeah. is now playing second fiddle to triumphant moment with the smiling yeah. corpse thing. Rather it's such a broish mentality. It's so immature. And yeah, it strikes me as a bit misogynist. But, but rather, it's not yeah. enough to just say he doesn't get with her. It's like the it's like she doesn't matter. All that matters is Paul Dano's emotional fulfillment or something. I don't know. Yeah, and the part of the problem is, you know, when you say you know what the fuck, which it's fine, but also the gaze is important. It's always from, you know, from Paul Dano's character's gaze about like, you know, look, I've made this journey for you and in all you have to say is... It does is undermine... It do, No, it does... I, I do think it... Un, I mean, I won't go fully with you there. I do think it undermines any kind of like validation from, oh, from to, Sarah. Totally, the fact that this guy, this, character. This guy it was living in her backyard. I, w- I, would, I would be way more <laughs> angrier if, if he got some kind of romantic resolution with her. That would be the worst. Oh, that would be outrageous. This is, much, this is a much milder thing I'm complaining right. about. Um, when reading the ending as a whole, and I'm referring to the scene um, outside the Mary Elizabeth Winstead's character's house, as well as um, aspects of the ensuing sequence, I don't think that he is ultimately portrayed as triumphant. He's portrayed as tragic. People realize everyone in this scene, whether it be the Mary Lewis Winston character, whether it be the law enforcement or paramedics, um, whether it even be husband or his father, that this person does need help. The emphasis here is uh, that while this person clearly has a v- has incredibly broad delusions and also imagination, as is shown in this film, he is someone who needs support. Um, as regards the what is referred to the stalker aspect of this film, 
Yes, it's incredibly creepy and it's awful. And this person needs to get the hell out of a light and away from her and needs support that has been alluded to. But, but the, which, movie which, which, yeah, the, movie, the movie, the movie isn't actually, conveying that because yes. it drags her down the hill to to bear um, witness no, in a gag. Down the hill. She goes after her daughter who's run. I know, away. but it. But I just mean okay, in terms of plot mechanics, it's bringing you, it's bringing her, it's keeping her in his in his uh, circle. circle of bullshit and then playing it as a gag. Yeah. The what the fuck definitely plays I, as a gag with the music because it's like. It, yeah. def- it plays as triumphant. Yeah, it the, plays it, as it, the, the fact that he's he's I made this heroic journey. I don't think it felt like he was overcoming. Dude, her it ends with an it literally right after it's what the fuck, and then cut to some weird smile on face of fart jets jet spraying away Daniel Radcliffe. It's definitely going for I comedy. The point I I didn't find it funny at all. Actually, well, then I mean, that then that means the film and? failed on that level. But you've but constructed an elaborate. I haven't constructed anything. You've constructed <laughs> an elaborate reason <laughs> for that ending. There are plenty of funny moments in this film. The entire no again. The, you look at the entire <laughs> end sequence. It. Okay, so I, I I've constructed this whole separate simulacrum of a movie separate to this. The uh, many scenes in the film are played for comedy. As soon as we hit reality, when he rocks up with Manny in the backyard. The the film runs in a different temper. But are we in reality when the corpse uh, goes out to sea with this fight? At the no. At the very end. No, we're not. The point. And we're going for a celebratory town. And point, we go for a gag. The, I don't think it's going for. I think the point the film is trying to make is that even if someone needs support, and even if someone who historically, for reasons that people have always misunderstood mental illness, um, have always been reviled, that they even if what they see are delusions that their worldview can nevertheless be empathized with and moreover appreciated and understood but mary elizabeth winstead at the end is not appreciating or understanding she's saying what the fuck and that's contrasted with the dad smiling and laughing like the dad like people get me but mary elizabeth winstead I, I, is still I, I, there I, I, I think i, I think i say what the fuck is it rejecting i think it's saying oh wait something she doesn't look new. happy I'm, I didn't say she, she genuinely i'm saying her I, I, I think and others genuinely i think she's trying to out. say fact that oh my god like what just happened what yes, just happened yes because someone was exposed to a different perspective well, no, no. someone was exposed there, to there, like there, a corpse there, there, there is a random a random dude who's sto- who you find has, has been stalking you just dragged a corpse into your gra- for me the emotional story and, is and about that daughter. not about Paul Dano yeah, yeah. like it was such oh, a jarring okay. thing that for the movie to stay with Paul Dano and continue validating his worldview in, but in terms of the filmmaking choices was too much for me to go with the film empathizes with her it empathizes with the entire family it empathizes with the husband a character even who he even barely gets it doesn't see. trash them but it, it does in playing in playing them ultimately is second fiddle and a joke given the horror of what's if you think, think about it for a moment a second fiddle there are characters come later in the film and for characters who are introduced at such a late stage we do we, we do spend time with them we do learn that they are confronted by this we do know that this isn't a blase thing for them we do realize this has an emotional resonance for this but and at the yet, same time we can also empathize with both perspectives that is the point the film is trying to make i mean yeah. and yet the final scene is so much about this. Is so much about Paul Dano. Oh, Every shot's on him. Film? Of course, the film final scene's about Paul Dano. It's, yeah, it's but the, the, the truth the is that we just crossed a path where it was time for things where it's like, shut up. I want to hear from Mary Elizabeth Winstead now, but she's there to to watch the glorious moment where the the cast see into this guy's way of looking at the world, and we've got the dad going, you know, the cross between from the dad being like disapproving, disgusted father to suddenly smiling and laughing the whole th- it, you know the dad being there to, to approve it and also the thing about why are you ashamed to fight in, in front of people to suddenly fight at the end it's all about the climax of of this guy's story I and think it's we like learn about both characters without throughout the sequence it's what not do you learn that. about mary elizabeth winstead in this sequence 
this last sequence I'm talking. We learn, uh, well, first of all, a lot more than we did throughout the film. We learned a little bit about her. We learn about family life. We learn about... I, I literally mean just the bit on the beach with the corpse again. Oh, no, I'm referring to the sequence earlier. We don't learn too much about it. We learn, we learn we that, learn that, she's that, she, that, that she says, what the fuck? And that, and that she, no, and she is, like many of the characters on that beach... She's the catalyst for the reactions throughout the camera person, the reporter, many people who would experience something like this and see, oh, we have a different perspective here, um, which is the sort of perspective that many would come around to having watched this film. She's the audience catalyst at this point. Okay. Paul Dano's character, his arc is spelled out for you earlier in the movie, with it, part of it, when because a lot of it is like, why are you ashamed of this stuff? Why are you ashamed of being who you are? That's what I think a lot of what the movie is going for. But there is a key change in his arc at the very end of the film when he is seen to let many go. And he's had to let many go. Okay. It's very clear. This final bit, it's spelling it out that he has achieved that, but even though he, you know, yeah, it's been subverted and that, yeah, it seems like he's a crazy person. But... It's like, yes, he's not ashamed to let out a massive fart in front of the news crew and everyone. Yeah. There's stuff about, you know, my dad, you know, not really approving of him, just kind of alluded to, and we get to see the dad approving of him. Um, and we get to see the moment of, instead of being like, this was a messed up delusion, we get to see the, the, the point of the scene is other people seeing what he sees, right? I can't not just view that as ultimately a celebration of the, the, the just be who you are thing in spite of the fact that yeah, it's it, been revealed that that is a that creepy stalker thing yeah. in terms of how it's manifested in this guy. And, the, and you know, um, it's just, it's framed as a moment of triumph. And therefore, I... Yeah, okay. Uh, I'll, I'll try to yeah, I just, find I, the middle I ground think, and say I, what, I think what it's, the issue is. I yeah. think it's meant to, to be... Um, complicated in the ways that Glenn described I just don't think it's mature enough to get there so yeah. instead it just feel it comes across as like I don't know if they felt they needed to have a crowd pleasing ending I mean the problem is obviously I don't think it's a crowd pleasing ending at all <laughs> well the, the whole movie is not crowd pleasing in any sense but anyway but it's meant to be <laughs> but uh, okay so up, uh, I don't know it did well yeah well for one person in the crowd but let's, uh, let's no okay. hundreds <laughs> of people but go on but anyway, uh, let me get back to the central issue with the film is it doesn't know what to do with mental illness. And we'll come back to this in Joker as well when we discuss the spoilers. But uh, let's stay with Susami Man. I mean, first off, uh, yes, uh, we, we have got to a point where people uh, are completely, they don't understand how mental illness manifests and they're repulsed and wild. So we all, we all get that. But it is almost as if the message of this movie is to swing the pendulum you know, in a very simplistic way as to like, okay, now we don't, instead of reviling them or finding them repulsive, we need to understand mental illness. And the way to do that is by celebrating and be empathetic to that point of view without acknowledging the issues that that might actually bring about, you know? I, yeah, I don't I, think I, it fully gets there, yeah. I, because I think the, the more nuanced perspective is the fact that, yes, we need to be empathetic with uh, people with mental illnesses, but even that, that their perspective and their point of view still has repercussions in the real world, which this film is not ready to deal with. Yeah, I think it, it depicts them, but then it's like bounce off it immediately. We're not ready to deal with that, like what we were saying about Hustlers. Yep. Okay, um, I disagree. I think this film is making the point that very few films make that mental illness manifests in a number of ways, not just in a terrible way, as was alluded to in this film, where a character was stalking another, but it manifests, as we saw throughout the film, in multiple ways, in more creative ways, in better ways, in ways that are good for not just this, uh, ways that can not only enliven 
like this individual by exploring his creative pathways, but um, of those around him and as a way of dealing with his illness. Um, I think this film is making the point, and I'll get to how it is making the point in a minute, that you can, that mental illness is misunderstood, that it manifests in terrible ways that people focus on these. It is important to focus on how man mental illness manifests badly. Certainly mm -hmm. the film does deal in great respect and does empathize um, the emotional and practical impact of um, finding out that this person has been stalking you on the Mary Elizabeth Winston character, even if, yes, this is only handled one extended sequence towards the end of the film. We only get to know this character passingly, which I think is unfortunate. I would have liked to have known this character more. As regards how, yeah, sorry, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll continue this bit. Chris? The, what I was trying to say before is just that, yes, it, it, it's revealing that at the end, but then the perspective of the film, the audience identification immediately bounces off dealing with the real ramifications to one more moment of triumph and validation for this character. That's why it strikes me as immature. I don't think it's a problem to have a moment of validation of this worldview. With, and it, it, this film, I think, has the maturity, has the intention and the maturity to, to duly say this is a problem but this is what is profound and can be celebrated about this individual. And that's not something that already goes for. I don't and, and in terms of how it does that, so go, for it, go sorry, ahead. I don't disagree with the intention. Definitely not. Uh, yeah, I, 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 I don't agree. Think, uh, the film has good intentions. I think we both, uh, Chris and I, would agree with that. But I think it's the execution, which I feel the film is not it's brave enough to balance yeah, those perspectives. It just strikes me as immature. How it executes it. Yeah, it's, it just struck me as immature. I guess. All right, so how it executes it. We see how this character... Um, is creative throughout the entire course of the film, whether it be subverting classically commercial tropes, whether it be how he um, utilizes as morbid as it is a corpse uh, for this myriad of purposes. Um, the th what he is able to make and produce with these limited um, ut utilities in this corner of the forest, um, what he's able, what he's able to do, what he's able to recreate a bus, and yes, uh, the basis for that is very disconcerting, given what he is trying to recreate and the context for which it came, but which the film does address in its twist later in the film. But uh, it is shown that he is able to um, to work through his concerns and his issues by being creative. Uh, it does at the yes only uh, it treats. The, what he, the major issue of concern regarding his mental illness as a twist layer in the film. I would love to have a, had a whole act to unpack this. I agree. But the film does address it. It does, And yeah, even if it ends... I've never been... Okay. I, I never subscribed to the idea that... I don't, I'm not saying this is what anyone's arguing. I've never subscribed to the, the point a film ends on is ultimately the point or the takeaway. And yes, it does end on a moment which focuses on this aspect of his mental illness as opposed to the... Um, some more concerning aspects of Gossamer Lewis with his character, but I think it dealt with it. It covered it. It showed us the impact on her life. It showed us the impact on the, of, he, of, of his actions and his illness on all those around him in the whole extended it's sequence just before it went down the hill. Yeah, but it's just distasteful when you've caused that damage to then focus on the, but I, uh, you know, on the positive things about it. Like it just, it was the wrong time. Yeah. It was the wrong time. And bringing her, that character it's, into it's, it is the final insult. It's too hard to believe that this character, even though she has gone through a, a terrible ideal now, that she can have sympathy for this quite tragic figure. I don't think so. Good for her. I'm sure she can, but no one wants their Sunday 
interrupted by no one wants their Sunday interrupted by, by the this. by this guy who, who's been revealed to be stalking you, making out with a corpse on the li- beach. But it's life affirming anyway. that this is a person who can have that empathy, and she clearly is. That's a wonderful. Ca- uh, but no, the point isn't isn't no. isn't so much a heart to heart. The final point it leads on with regard to her is what the fuck. But going back to something else you were saying, because I know I feel like we've covered this final scene enough. When you you were talking about it, like this movie, like it's like a beautiful mind, like this celebrating this guy's creativity. I'm not a big fan of a beautiful mind, but sure. Yeah, a beautiful mind sucks. But, but, but um, like it's celebrating this guy's creativity. Like, look at how he made a bus in in the forest. He made a bus in the forest because it was another ad gimmick. It was magic. There was no. It doesn't it delve into the. Ad it was gimmick. It, it it's an ad gimmick ad? in that suddenly they have. A, I compare it to an ad because it's shown in montages. It's very much like an ad type concept. Again, like people which is making the going for Michelle in, Gondry in type. And pacing. But the thing, it's literally like the way that he summons up all these items. It's he magic. Summon them. He no, does. No, he in doesn't. one moment, he slams on the table and the food arrives. Oh, I mean, I mean, pr- I mean, practically in reality, the point I was trying to make is that we see at the end, he actually did create these. Yes, things. we do. However, that's that's that. It's one of those weird ways this movie splits into how much of this is fantasy and how much are we met, supposed to take this well, seriously? Because all of the some of those things he made, he could not have made. It, it's framed like I said. It's I call compare it to an ad in terms of the the making the bus scenes and things like that, because it's skin deep it's meant to it's a concept that's meant to exist for the time that you watch it in the film you're not supposed to consider realistically that this guy made those things because he does not have access to the stuff that would be required yeah there's just some garbage lying around oh no i disagree with that i mean uh, i've certainly made stuff growing up and yes it took me this some is time so elaborate this is so production design sadly sadly he's probably been doing it for a long time it's so production designy like even with the stuff there's no realism in terms of like making things with what you have access to in terms and it's so it just happens immediately it could have yeah. happened over a long time but I the b- way that it's shown it in the film is like it happens immediately. I don't think it's turned to Whoop, happen here's immediately. Yeah, it literally is. It's montage. Because it's stream of consciousness. Again, he's in a dream-like environment. We don't but actually this, know how what, much time elapses. If that's in the, the case, then the we're narrative. spending too much time within his fantasy to the extent that it's obfuscating anything that could reveal the truth about him. Like, oh, look at how he's developing his creativity. Because there's no tangible reality to the developing the creativity with how things are just popping up and they're looking really, really amazing. It's okay to spend a lot of time creating something. It certainly is. He would how about have, making a film about certainly that? Certainly, he would have been doing that long before the day. The Manny character arrived. He would be working on this page. It's not too but difficult over the course of a couple of weeks to construct something like that as an individual. Some of these things are pretty amazing. Yeah, they're great. And I some like it's not. I, I built huts growing up. Yeah, the, but like, this isn't. This isn't just like the huts. Okay. He built a bus replica with like a, yeah. a with like a projector thing out the wind, like with like a scrolling. Pa- it's like it's, it's so absolutely practical and believable that he could do it. With dedicating but it's shot with lighting like it's shot oh, with yeah. lighting that makes it look this is again going back to my ad thing it's never the lighting that's in there it's like the lighting that would make this product which is this thing that he's made which you're supposed to find charming look as appealing as possible with studio lighting okay so the film uh, looks good yeah yeah no, right. the, but the film looks good in, in like a way that's shallow and distracting and how again going back to this slick and ad like it is it's like the goddamn popcorn shot again okay a uh, lot to unpack but uh, I think Part of the problem the film has, and the issue with it being ad-like or celebrating creativity, in a sense, is not only because that it's doing it. I mean, I don't have an issue with the fact that it's taking a stylistic choice. I get it. If uh, you know, as a filmmaker, you're allowed to make whatever stylistic choice you want. But if you take that and then you mix it with the final reveal of it being a celebration of empathy and mental illness, that's when you put it two and two together. It's what the actual issue with the film is because honestly i mean you you can celebrate creativity and a person's inner imagination without throwing a mental illness in there 
you know and, and it's a fact I, sometimes I in the, his mental illness is the basis of the whole film it's, it's not it's not a reveal it's, that he has mental illness it's very clear from the get go it no. is I don't think that his mental illness is really explored with any depth though yeah, because what do we learn about that's part of the problem I mean his issues we learned that he's repressed I mean part of the issue is I mean the film is not brave enough to tell you the fact that here are the sort of problematic things that his mental illness is manifesting in and that sometimes you need real world real help and not just validation of your inner creativity and say good job we understand you that's not enough um, well I've I, I've said I think the film is doing both okay. we've spoken so much about this film in terms of these abstracts and, and themes and things but going back to just the more basic concept of it I guess it's just something you find funny or you don't like all the fart jokes and all the bodily humor stuff but for me it grew um it just grew so tiring. Like it, like this movie. Making it sound like it's a, there's a fart joke every minute, and there isn't. No, there aren't. But the movie has this fixation on. It's like, let's talk about poo. Let's talk about like butts fart, <laughs> you know. And it's like, here's the meaning of life, guys. Um, <laughs> like like cheese puffs, like masturbating to porn when you're when you're like 14 years old, and like shit yeah. jokes. Yeah, the, the whole the, the whole sim- simple things in life. The whole the, the whole movie just cannot for me be taken seriously because it exists in such an immature space it's not really um it's the more slick version of what a script written by kids would be it's not really analyzing these themes in um an interesting or mature way it's just regurgitating things that kids find like subversive like bum poo porn that that's kind of just how I found it. It's um, it's it's, I, it's I basically the good boys, but a refined but version point, of it. Well, actually, that's a. Oh man, I look. I, don't, I, I know Glenn wants to say something, but you've just yeah, made me. Glenn, <laughs> feel free to cut me good, off, man. Yeah, I know yeah, I, I can no, like keep boy, going. I didn't see Good Boys, but you both saw Good Boys. I didn't see Good Boys. But comparing it to Good Boys is funny because, with regard to what I was just saying, it's so damn weird that they're in their twenties. Like this movie kind of wouldn't yeah. made sense. It just cre- makes it. Cre- it's like movie about creepy man children. Like it would have made sense if this movie w- actually starred kids. If it was like the more scatological Moonrise Kingdom, like South Park Moonrise Kingdom. Yeah, I, I could go with that. But as it is with this movie, where they're it's, they're playing it's, dress it's up, celebrating and he's doing the like save me. Yeah, yeah. It's and celebrating the, the fact that men uh, aren't growing up, and the most fact that they're yeah. allowed to be children. And exactly. You, you know, celebrate the inner child and you the, kind of thing. The pining after Mary Elizabeth Winstead would be like maybe kind of charming, but we need to educate uh, him better if it was a kid i don't think it'd be charming if it was a kid no 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 no. but i mean there, there's the there's the innocence i know that i don't think it would be okay right yeah. just putting that out there I think, I think i'm just saying that here. it can be justified by innocence and we can look at it and kind of cringe a bit and hope that they will learn better kids make mistakes like that i'm not saying it's okay right but like to idolize someone to that much. and i'm not brings, saying the stalking brings, would be which okay brings into question arrested development just, but, issues into question too but just yeah which are heavily implied in this movie but just um but just pining over her when he's um yeah it's creepy just the no pining one's, over no one's questioning that i think no one's like questioning that it's wrong but just it would make more sense if this movie was about a kid I, i'm not talking about the stalking thing just the unhealthy pining like you haven't learned how to just like talk to someone and i it just doesn't feel to me like an adult who hasn't learned how to pine for someone yet there, there isn't like that level of like frustration and stuff there's like the romantic yearning of an adolescent but, but and he plays dress up he plays superman and he wants to talk about jurassic park and eat cheese puffs oh my god it's yeah. man children um, but it, it is part of the problem is how with man children uh, we, we we're getting to that stage how 
mental illness. You have these themes around mental illness, man, man, man children, and all these ideas about you know celebrate the inner child in you kind of thing, which is the the easiest taken mental illness that we can have, rather than trying to deal with the actual repercussions of actions that have risen from these takes. Anyway, Glenn needs to say something. Glenn doesn't need to say something. Glenn would like to say a few things. <laughs> yeah, sure. On the ma- yes, thank you. On you can always just speak up, man. <laughs> we, by all means, we on cut you off. On the, on the matter of arrested development and the mental illness, the mental illness he has isn't actually technically specified in this film. Um, it could, which ha- is a problem. I think it should have uh, been. Not necessarily. It could have more than one, and maybe a, a, pro- a, a more sinister problem. This film is suggesting is that if he hasn't got the care he has gotten, his mental illness may not have been diagnosed, or may not support he needed at all. If it is manifested in one respect in the rest of development, then I would dispute the point um, that has been raised earlier. Um, as regards the puerility and the poo jokes and the fart jokes, I get frustrated with later era South Park in how much they deploy this um, just for a cheap laugh. I, I remember the very first episode they did it was making a point about the hypocrisy of adults, how it's such a natural thing, but they and they laugh at it regardless, but they don't like it when kids do it. And this was in the context of the episode about um, banning uh, the Canadians, the uh, the two just fart all the time. The Terence and Philip. Terence and Philip. Thank you. Um, I think the film is going for a very similar point. The it's saying that, and yes, it does overemphasize this em- emphasize this a bit. I don't think it. I don't think there aren't as many fart jokes as the promotional material would suggest. It's wh- what it is saying is that... But they're, they're what the film's based around. It's not just like a stray fart joke. It's like farts are endemic to the concept of this film. I don't have ha- that on. big of just Glenn, just Glenn, just Glenn. Just Sorry. And the, the point I want to make is that the film is saying that aspects of a person's identity, of their life, of what is natural to them, are underappreciated or, un- or misunderstood or reviled. Uh, like any, like many natural functions, the things people would do day to day, and it's a cri- it, it, for many it will be a cringeworthy metaphor, for many it will be a caustic metaphor, but I think it is still underlying the point. I'm sympathetic well. to the to the hippie kind of approach of like don't be ashamed of your body and just chill a bit and don't be afraid yeah. of who you are. But this movie for me was such a dumb way of conveying that that like, but also uh, not not recognizing the actual dangers of embracing all. You know the problematic aspects of your personality as well, because it's well, not of just the unhealthy fantasy. Yeah, this yeah. goes back into the ending where Glenn felt like it was addressed enough, and I don't think it did enough yeah. to address the level of unhealthy I, I, fantasy. I have said I do th- w- would have liked the final two sequences to play out over a whole act. I would be happy with this film to be longer, but oh god no, okay, a <laughs> 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 longer movie, <laughs> more, more laughs. Yeah, but the, the things that are natural and are considered unnatural are not wrong and should not be rejected and that gets the point that is the that as opposed to you should be yourself it's a it's a much more nuanced version of you should be yourself argument the film pursues throughout i just don't think this felt this was the right film to make send that message with but um just or, or i don't think this film is actually using a lot of his material to send that message it just shoehorns that message in yeah almost I, as an after i think that i think it's, it's, it's throughout the entire movie the entire movie is people playing out the natural functions and ideations not people i think that in order in a, okay person yeah person. i think that in order to more satisfyingly interrogate as opposed to celebrate i think to and clear up any ambiguity that someone like me might have about whether this movie is celebrating that the filmmaking needed to work more at cross purposes with the character and what i mean by that is instead of taking on uh the forms of a lot of the things that this guy loves like 80s 90s movies with montages and pop songs um and 
ways of filming things that I compare to music videos or commercials, if it had sometimes shown more of the reality so that at least that way you would be interrogating to some degree the juvenilia, I think you could have um, split the difference and and, and mixed it yeah. up a bit. But I think the film is so clearly on Paul Dano's side that uh, the message, if it was meant to be more critical, has been jumbled. I think there is a. Re- I think the film is showing reality. I think the film is showing reality that this person who may very well be homeless. It's not clear, but it's heavily implied throughout the film that because he's been screwed over by the system or not supported by his family or friends, that he is forced to live in squalor. That he is forced to eat. Um, well, I forget what the cheese, uh, the the chips were called. But the, cheese the, puffs. Yeah, but this sounds and that is a terrible reality of mental illness that is reflected in this movie. But for the, many, that sounds like an interesting film. I just think that the film it's that we actually have is so situated in. In this guy's in, like in, juvenile in fantasies, yeah, in a backyard. Yeah, juvenile but, fantasies. But it is clear, even before the twist, even before the cops go through the bus at the end, uh, that this is at least to an extent very based on reality. And certainly, the end of the film makes that clear that he has been living in this, these circumstances, that he has been getting the support he needs. That is a reality in mental illness. I feel it does explore um, in a roundabout but still mature and direct way how this in reality faces so many people. But uh, yeah, I, I get it, but. If you if you're saying that people with mental illness do not get the support, uh, there is nothing in the film that is making a comment on the system that perpetuates this kind of reality. A comment on the system. No, not at all. I don't. Yeah, I don't no, think it all. interrogates that. I agree. At all. In fact, it's it spends so, it's so much focused time on with the Paul shallow Dano's stuff. kind of you know fantasy element, which is great. But after 20 minutes, I kind of like, what else? What yeah, else? yeah. yeah. I think a medical forical journey of an individual through. Um, an completely yeah, isolated I got, I, environment I got the journey sh- shows the point that people who have mental illness are not supported or isolated. Certainly, a film we're about to talk about in a minute makes the point very literally, but this makes the which point is, which is also um, in, a more, anyway. in a more impressionistic way, which is perfectly fine. It makes it in, the, in a broadly symbolic way, which will not be difficult for people to comment on. I don't think it had that depth, but I'll, I'll, I'll grant that we, as a lot of things about this film, we just have a different kind of perspective. Yeah. But... There's something about this movie. <laughs> <laughs> is it the farting or is it the... the, f- yeah, the no, it's the boners. <laughs> All right. Oh, so do, oh, do, 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 oh, do wow. any of you guys feel okay. like the uh, Mary Elizabeth Winstead angle is partly in there so that we're not just like, is it a gay movie? <laughs> but like, cause let, let's, let's look... I never, felt, I never considered that. Let's look at what what takes place in one of these scenes there was just a moment where i thought what am i watching where it's got a scene where <laughs> yes. paul dano creeps up to put his ear near the magical erection of the corpse and meanwhile the music's doing its romantic da 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 and like the golden light shining down and i was yeah. like how is this not meant to end with them having sex i know that we're not going to go to necrophilia here i actually thought that he was going to suck his dick but like the, but it's like I'm listening to the sign like the, it's just it's creating such a strange moment of intimacy between men involving someone's penis for it not to be sexual and, and, and like great. is the point that is the point that don't be ashamed of your, your penis what your erection whatever maybe but it's still with like the way it's filmed and the way it's framed it's like did you guys know what you were doing is it meant to be funny that it's kind of gay or is or is it or are we meant to take that seriously? Yeah, this but but in, in, in those it's moments, weird. Yeah, in those moments, I actually did think that this is actually a question. This is a film about him exploring his sexuality. Like, no, he was not sure. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. Because I, d- I never got that I, feeling. I, I, yeah, yeah. I never got. I, I don't know where no, you no, 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 are coming from. Because no, no, if, if you okay, I'm just saying. You know, no, don't. No, 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 if I, I, I if you, you couple you couple yeah. that and and you have that scene where 
Daniel Radcliffe is like you know play acting and role playing in this sort of coconut girl, Hawaiian girl kind of I- influence, and they're clearly having a romantic uh, kind of moment together, or at least you know play acting one. And I thought, okay, you know this is clearly him exploring his sexuality and thinking, you know maybe I do have other feelings that I haven't, haven't explored. So, yeah, I never got that any of those uh, perspectives. I felt there was nothing about this <laughs> no, I, I, you, you, you asked if this was the impression you got and my answer is no there was nothing about the relationship and the way they interacted or the way that um, the Hank character was looking to be supportive or look out for or inform Manny of certain things that was anything but platonic and I agree I, I, they, I, I agree they seem like very intimate friends and further to that um, most films and most action films to boot and but America, surely, surely one of them don't actually depict what happens with corpses once they have a. Well, we, 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 can, we can have platonic romantic relationships. That's totally possible. My, my point is the stuff that is depicted yeah. in this film, yes, it's outrageous and yes, it's over the top. But the I don't think that was, but, tra- but, I think was a more natural but, progression of their relationship. That's, not, to be that's not the point I'm trying to make at all. <laughs> the point I'm trying to make is that in a pure bodily sense, this is like the stuff that's depicted here. Yes, it's over the top, but that's what happens to the corpses. It's uh, not a fun <laughs> fact. What happens to corpses? Yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Like the stuff. But this movie's not really about a corpse. No, it's not. But it's um, about male bonding between bros in the woods and like how much fun we can get up to. <laughs> Everything else is tacked on. <laughs> that's my reductionist take on but Swiss Army Man. But I get it. Like, if it, it, if this movie was about that, about uh, male bonding and how men actually bond and, and celebrating that. creativity, we, uh, to some extent it is. We can say that the the corpse is a reflection of himself, but at, at a certain point within the film, he functions as his own character, even yeah. as, his, as he is. Kind but of but also, I, I think reflective. part of, part of it is you know Hank trying to come to terms with the fact that he really does crave genuine affection from someone, anyone. Yeah, and he hasn't got that. So you know the fact that he's getting it from this corpse who isn't talking back, who isn't ridiculing him for his opinions because he's a corpse, essentially, <laughs> you know, uh, is kind of validating. It Look, there are in- interesting ideas exactly. in this movie that I would have liked to see explored more. Yeah. To me, it just it just I, feels agreed. like... I would certainly... Have, uh, I wish this had been 40 minutes longer. It's just that, <laughs> for me, if, if it requires just a different approach... Even yeah. if this had been forty minutes longer, I still think it would have the stylistic used, filled half of that with really, like more montages. Really annoyed me. Yes, the stylistic yeah. treatment really annoyed me. Yeah, I think it's about like the way it's directed. Well, That's I the number one thing. Well, I appreciate that a film looked only to have a central figure who suffered from mental illness, but looked to situate us um, in his head and how he thought, and not ridicule, but to explore that, to explore something distinct, and for all. What these faults that have been discussed, this was an excellent character piece. We got to learn a lot about the Hank character in exceptional detail. So, round, round, oh man, I just feel like we mostly, I just feel like we mostly learn about, like, if only I, like, the cliches, like, if only I'd, you know, gotten the girl, my dad didn't like me, and here's all the shows and songs I like. Um, okay, we got to learn a lot about him. We got a le- we got an extreme impression of his isolation and the effect that it had on him. Why he would be driven to live in the woods? Why he would be in a situation where he would befriend? I just and manifest I, this. Well, it, it's an issue of maturity. I just think whenever you're getting serious about some themes, it's got to become time for the movie to get serious. I don't don't think the film. It certainly does get serious at the end. But yes, it, yes, as we have discussed, yeah, it, it the final note back. is not that. 
it's just no, the, the, the final note I would say blends seriousness with um, a, a, a what appears a deceptive irreverence. The, I just think that this the what, what is deceptively irreverent. <laughs> the stack. I just think like the balance between what is supposed to be taken seriously and what is just goddamn ridiculous in this movie is not oriented straight. So yeah, it's, there's it's, too much it's too dumbness. It's too fantastical for the, for it to be taken seriously to the extent except, it needs to be. Except, like it's a fighting corpse movie. How mature can it convincingly be? Except not very. Except for the beginning, and you see it inflecting both the production design and how, actually, the whole film, how the corpse is treated, or what he able, he's able to do with the corpse, it gets less, as I have alluded to, it gets less and less stream of consciousness as we are more become more grounded in reality, and certainly the figure. Consequent, can consequentially becomes more grounded in reality when he has the character uh, when he when he has the character when he's char- when he has a major point of character development at the very end of the film, the the outlandishness the fantastical elements decrease throughout the film and the film is consistent that God yes the stuff we see is preposterous but we, it, it, it's not going up and down as we become more grounded in reality we certainly get a better grounding where we are physically. And where Hank becomes more accepted and acclimatized to the reality that he shares with other real people. So the film is consistent in that regard. I disagree. Yeah. <laughs> For reasons we've discussed. I yeah. feel like, yeah, I feel like we've covered it. I think yeah, that's I, I think, yeah, we just, the film, I don't know whatever kind of stylistic or, uh, you know. For me, it's just dumb. It's such a dumb movie. It, it, it just That's it, my one word review. It's one of those films. That <laughs> yeah, it's one of those films. And, and part of it is also when we'll discuss Art of Self-Defense, uh, which but also you like a lot, Glenn. I, I love Art of Self-Defense yeah. a lot better. Because the, like the, the Art of Self-Defense, I think, balanced better when to get serious. Yeah. I think that, like, the... Um, can't wait to discuss it's always movie. difficult to be about serious themes when you're making a dumb movie and it's it, you can pull it off or you can't and you can make something like joker that was up yeah. for a segue yeah. and that is a great segue to the next film we want to stop talking about controversial divisive topics so let's get straight into yeah jo- fairly, joker yeah fairly good popcorn movie which offers a lot of entertainment and no divisive opinions so this is our spoils discussion of Joker, um, which is overtaking Quentin Tarantino's ninth film as the most controversial, contentious movie of the year. Can, oh that, man. Was, that was not contentious at all. We have to talk about the ridiculousness of the media narrative around this film. Oh my god, it's absurd. But ever since, like, it, it's changed from: is this movie going to be liked by bad people for the wrong reasons, like people yeah. for worry about some it's, of Kubrick's films, uh, like Clockwork Orange and Full Metal Jacket, or um, Fight Club? Somehow that's morphed into yeah, people are going culture. to become mass shooters because of yeah. this film, this, or uh, which is somehow warped into people are going to shoot up people at screenings of Joker because a, of this a movie. A lot of this is grounded in <laughs> misreporting and misunderstandings and erroneous reporting of the Aurora shooting in 2012. Where people, we, yeah, the shooter there never said he was the Joker. But the way that this has been reported, it's like it's the story came from nothing. Nothing about the movie changed. The movie didn't get more outrageous. But just somehow in the time between its Venice premiere and now, when most people hadn't seen it, yeah, the it's like in the app, people, the media cycle we have now was so insistent to keep talking about the Joker, but they weren't being given any more details. So instead, they they made themselves insane, chasing around and creating a snowball into a mountain. Of course, an of angry sort of an angry right man will encourage, or will, will of course um, have these sorts of effects, which is pure speculation. 
Yeah, especially it's, I mean, I mean, when I mean, you haven't seen the movie. Part part of part I'm of not the, experts in these issues. Yeah, exactly. Part of it was definitely that it winning the Golden Lion at Venice, and people were just oh, so, so such, that's ridiculous. It is no, absurd. Yeah, no, but people were so surprised at how a pop culture comic book movie could win that. So I think it is part of it is. Well, it's better than most comic book films. Yeah, and yeah. as Martin Scorsese alluded to, it's better than most. Marvel cinemat cinematic universe films. Yeah, hot take. We we discussed earlier on. Should we have a brief interlude from Joker? We discussed earlier on uh, Martin Scorsese's comments. Yes. So to uh, clarify what he has said this week in an interview with Empire Magazine, he was asked what he thought of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and he said words to the effect of these films are not cinema. They are not trying to make you feel or engage. Yeah, with he said that they're not. Things. They're not conveying. Um, real human emotion or psychological experience. I think it's particularly interesting that these comments came in light of that Martin Scorsese was once a producer on Joker, and yeah. certainly this film is heavily riffing on it. I'm surprised that he actually hasn't commented on Joker, given it making some stretching from two, I'd say arguably three, of his projects with Robert De Niro. He's probably just being polite. I mean, I assume there was some kind of creative clash for him to be listed as executive producer, then pull out. I'd say so. Uh, w- with these comments... I think it's a little unfair that a lot of the hate's been heaped on Martin Scorsese. He has a pretty clear idea of what cinema is. Certainly, I do broadly agree with his definition of cinema. I also broadly agree with how he's approached the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Most of it isn't looking to make you feel or engage. However, I think it is underselling some of the better better MCU films, which actually do want you to have an emotional resonance to the characters. I didn't cry at the end of Endgame with when um, a certain character died. I'm not going to say which one in case you haven't seen it, though you, you know exactly who I'm talking about. But... I think it undersells, particularly Infinity War, Thor, um, Black Panther, which did have a strong no, emotional. Uh, okay, vibe. I, okay, I agree with Scorsese in that I view the um, when he compared it to a theme park, it's I can see too much the mechanics of this thing as a thing that's designed to sell me on this universe so that I see more episodes and buy the merchandise. That under underpinning is so strong the whole time that I agree that supersedes the. Um, truthfulness or the uh, any genuine conveyance of psychology or real emotional experience because doing so could result in making a product that's more alienating to people because it's getting into individual experience and then you can't sell as many things and take over the world yeah, like they did with Endgame. There's never yeah. going to be a silence theme park, a film that is better than every single MCU film, exponentially better than Expe- every yeah, that's MCU exactly, movie. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I mean, exactly. And, and Scorsese, I think when he says cinema, he's talking about it like an art form. You know, um, I think it's a. I, I think it in some way it, it is snobby. Yeah, like because cinema can just mean anything that's projected. And some of the earliest things that we consider part of the history of cinema were just attractions, were just like funhouse things. Yeah. But so maybe it's snobby to say that's not cinema. But maybe if if we we're charitable to Marty, Marty. if we define it like if, Marty McFly, if there was another word that's just referring to this to like an art form that people aspire to, like how we have a diff- way we view it differently, um, ad ads on billboards, though those can be pop art. Versus something that's designed as an image that's designed as fine art. Maybe if we had that kind of separation in words for cinema, like something that's earnestly designed to be an expression of a person or person's feelings versus something that's designed for commercial intent. Um, if we go with that, then sure, I'm, I'm with Marty. But then it's the not cinema. The post that is, oh, here's all the Andy Warhol prints from the late 60s yeah, but and like Marty, I said, you're out of touch. Like I said, it can be pop art, but I still feel like there's layers of distinction in terms of like what was the intention um, that, that's been my go-to when it comes to defining what is art, but really. Would, what is the intention? But the Marvel Universe would have had the impact it had if it didn't have a strong, at least extended emotional resonance. 
Yes. Okay. So I think part of where Scorsese is coming from is this fear that there's going to be a generation of people for whom cinema is going to be defined by the MCU. Yeah, I you think know? you're right. So fear, you know? that's happened. Yeah, yeah. That's happened. Yeah, yeah. So, no, no, but it's true. And with Disney and everything, you know, when we look at the back catalog, even Stan is selling that. Watch the entire MCU catalog. Yep. And that is prestige cinema now. Which it's it well, included, well, well yeah, yeah. No, let's, let's be honest about it's it. It's a different it's definition of prestige. I know, but, <laughs> yeah. but that's part of what, you know, I see what you're saying. a whole generation of young fans, you know, for them, the first Avengers is a classic. It is a classic. in One of the greatest films of all time, etc. Yeah, in, in that sense. Like, it's in the same league as The Godfather. <laughs> for, you know. Oh, uh, God. But no, no, but it, it, it's true. I mean, let's let's accept it. And part of that is, is scary, is the fact about, you know, two two films and two with completely different expectations audience expectations now being seen on the same plane is is scary uh, so I think when we talk about cinema I think and definitions of cinema I think that itself is playing a part as to are newer audiences and younger audiences more likely to give different forms of cinematic experiences a chance in the theatre or is it only going to be spectacle-based cinema, which is going to be, you know, pulling people in the theatres from now onwards? Well, in terms of commercial and aesthetic impact, certainly both have had the very distinct, very profound impact. The Godfather, using that example, has influenced artists and creators and films, and in, in countless of these episodes for decades now, whereas the Mob Cinematic Universe and individual films have not just created the template of what other studios and what the mainstream films aspire to, but, again, the stylistic attributes which many want to pursue to um, have, have an audience. We're about to talk about Joker in a minute, and no Joker is not at all like um, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but there are aspects, there are hallmarks, that one of the, some of the weakest parts are trying to bro- tie it into a broader narrative, and certainly just it being a clunky film when this could just as well have been about another character, another attraction of the movie. Yeah, um, I, I want to get is, into that. Is um, emblematic of that. The... Going back to the idea of spectacle-based stuff, I don't think that Scorsese is inherently saying, you know, movie needs to be drama about conflicted old white man, right? I think um, I think he, if you look at the things that Scorsese likes, he's definitely celebrated th- some things that have tried to be grand spectacle over the history of the cinema. Um, I think it just goes down to like, oh, this is always selling me the sequel. Maybe I'm projecting my dislike of Marvel onto Martin Scorsese, but I, I think he's. he's I think it's a sequel, has he? He made the Color of Money sequel to okay, Cool Hand yes, Luke. he did. But ver- again, very, but a very different film. Very distinct. Yeah, that's right. But no, he he's not a sequel kind of guy. And Marvel, I think, is just in that. It, it in, I think one of the reasons why someone like Scorsese would be so against it is he came of age as a filmmaker in the time when directors were given the most power in Hollywood that they were probably ever given, and then suddenly, yeah, it's, it's Marvel a change pull, in power. Ma- Marvel are changing that. Yeah. Marvel are taking away the, the director's power, studio power and yeah. therefore the power to create a artistic statement because it's being filtered through more heads and more executives before it goes down to the script stage, before the directors get hired, Which every step of the process. Are so excited for The Irishman, something from distinct classical filmmaker who yeah. no Netflix no, Netflix is not going to boss this guy around. No. He's going to create the vision he no, wants. No, but, but that's the thing. I mean, it's it's not about that generation of directors. We, we already have the Scorsese's and, 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 and whatnot. And those people are not going to be bossed around, but it is about the next generation of filmmakers, the next, and the next generation of audiences who can appreciate that kind of cinema. It's you know, uh, we're here as film snobs, and we are gushing about the Irishman, 
but there are a lot of people. Let's wait till we see it before we really gush. I don't know, but like, you know, we, we're looking forward to it as one of the cinematic events of 2019. But, you know. We're out of touch. We're <laughs> out of time. <laughs> and uh, a lot of people have uh, sort of laid that accusation on me that I am a cinematic snob. And, you know, the fact that, you know. Accusation? <laughs> yeah, yeah, fact. yeah. No, but <laughs> the fact that, you know, why can't I enjoy something like the Fast and Furious franchise for what it is? Uh, and celebrate it on the same plane as cinema as some of the other movies that I consider to be serious, like you know the the uncut gems or the uh, the marriage stories <coughs> that they kind of come out. So, <coughs> it's excuse me, it's, you know wh- what makes a Portrait of a Lady on Fire uh, a, a better film per se or better cinematic experience than the Fast and Furious? I think you know, it's just <laughs> we should we should get back to Joker, but yeah. um, this this, this does elucidate on but all those yeah things. it does. But I think it's just that mainstream are less likely to watch films that are mostly character-driven dramas or not mostly about a massive, massive CGI spectacle at the end. Yeah, It's about the template, breaking the template. Are you willing to endure actual elasticity in in your narratives? Joker is an attempt to get the audience that goes to see branded content, usually about comic book people, to watch another movie about characters which is what we're going to be talking about now because it is... Well, we're doing the spoiler discussion. <coughs> Let's explain what the film is. So, spoiler discussion Excuse me. from now on. He's just about to go into a manic laugh. <laughs> <laughs> and Virat just really did it. <coughs> okay, I'm good. So, from now on is the spoiler discussion of Joker. It's so basically what happens if you have not seen the film is that Arthur Fleck, uh, living with his mother and working minimum wage as a clown, clown street twirler, um, is fired from his job and begins having delusions. What is, what's tree twirler? He's like an ad sign twirler. He's a sign, oh, a sign, sign dude. Oh, like I didn't realize that was an actual term. That's really clever. Okay. Is that actually what it's called? I, I, so I thought they referred to that uh, a, 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 a sign twirler. That's what they referred to him in the movie. Oh, okay. Yeah. He twirls his sign. Yeah, I don't know if that's his job. I know he gets fired yeah. for dropping a gun in a children's ward at a hospital, which was hilarious. It was so goddamn funny. I agree. that For me, that, w- that was actually <laughs> okay. the funniest moment of the movie. It's so dark and so inappropriate and so right for what a Joker film should be. No, so why did the whole rest of it want to be so do- yeah. goddamn serious? No, 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 the funniest moment was when he kills uh, one yes. of his former colleagues and yes. then the, the other colleague is reaching for the chamber. He can't <laughs> reach it. And he says, Arthur, can you get this for me? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wondering yeah. if he's The moment of danger. Yeah, Am the, I going to get killed? The, 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 yeah. two, the two funniest That was a great scene. Very inappropriate sequences, yeah. Yeah, but it, Todd Phillips comes from a comedy background, and it, he shows here that he nails the comedy. So wh- why not make a, a dark comedy out of the Joker? That's not the direction it goes. What effectively happens is we learn that he is having delusions about his neighbor, Zazie Beetz, uh, who he, in his mind, invites along to be to his stand-up comic show, which is seen by Murray, who the Robert De Niro character, Jerry Langford stand in, from the key of comedy, who ultimately invites Arthur on his show ostensibly to laugh at him, and we also learn and get shot in the face. Get shot in the face. Uh, it's a pretty annoying modern. Like, he, but Murray basically pretends that he's a clip went viral in 1981, which is a pretty annoying way of trying to shepherd in modern commentary into a flick. Yeah, 40 I, years agree. Past. I agree. Yeah, it, I agree. I, 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 I don't think like the word viral existed in the 80s like did things go viral but basically oh, sure, two but things go viral in this film one is the video of which is a big coincidence really um one is the uh, given how hard it was for things to go viral and how differently that worked to the internet yeah. back in those days but the two things that go viral are arthur fleck arthur fleck's youtube recorded um clip shown on the murray franklin show of him performing at a at a stand-up 
and he's Club. killing off three Wayne employees yeah. on a bus who were on a train Wait, who were. No, but that no, I don't think they were Wayne employees. They yes, were just they were. Rich, rich. No, no, uh, they were employees brands. of the Wayne Corporation. Right. But that's enough to get people. The report that a guy dressed as a clown was seen fleeing from a scene where three people were shot inspires people to get politically active as, I guess, Occupy Wall Street types. saying Which was already done seven years ago by Chris Nolan. That's right. It was already done in Dark Knight Rises. But here it's kind of also like, is it Trump? Like, Dark Knight Rises, I guess, kind of predicted the Trump uh, fans oh, th- in some there, ways. There is a deliberate An ambiguity idea. to the political commentary here. Yeah, where it's like... Um, Which we'll get into. Yeah. Uh, um, there is a Trumpian aspect to, you know, we hate the system... Um, we don't like politicians, so we support a guy who represents just destroying everything. No, I, I, don't, I don't think it's Trumpian at all. In fact, I think it's too generic. It's just populism and hate towards the rich is. in a very generic sense, which is part of the problem. If it was Trumpian, I would at least give the film some credence and some kudos to actually stand behind its political convictions. Yeah, the but the film is too afraid to even go there. What's well, more than that, the film is generic in its political commentary. This the clowns can be read as stand-ins for left, right, Trump, Hillary supporters. And there is an interesting comment in there about populism itself, but it doesn't explore or really reflect any modern incidents which would make it more interesting. I, th- I think this film is meant to be playing with Trumpian ideas, but like... And certainly more with Wayne as the Trump figure running for mayor, we should also mention. Yeah, like any Hollywood Bruce, film... Uh, Thomas Wayne, Bruce Wayne's father. Yeah, like any Hollywood film, if you go looking too deeply, of current Hollywood, that is, the current state of how films get made and produced, where all the rough edges get smoothed out, if you're looking for any kind of... Um, well thought through political commentary you're not going to find it because the most this film is doing is dipping its toe in the zeitgeist it's like the barest um the barest lip service to contemporary themes ripped straight from the newspapers but it's never exploring that at any real depth oh yeah i mean par- part of like i mean <laughs> the most absurd and i um, i was laughing unintentionally in, in the scene with the exchange between murray and and flag towards the end before we shoot him. Would you clarify for those who haven't seen? Just we, I just, I just before we get into this to clarify what does happen to the rest of the film for those who have not seen it in context. Um, uh, Arthur, while dressed as a clown on the Murray Franklin show, shoots Fleck, which furthers no, this. Wait, Arthur so, shoots uh, Fleck. Oh, oh, sorry, Fleck shoots Murray. Excuse me, which further encourages this night of clown uprising where everyone runs around the clown master destroying things. One of these thugs kill uh, as Thomas Wayne and his family are emerging from the theater. Um, he kills Thomas Wayne and uh, it's, um, and Martha Wayne in imagery we've seen. Don't count, say that name. Countless. Yeah. Say Martha. Why did you say Martha? Why did you take that name? Um, importantly, there is also speculation in this film. Uh, one of the subspots is as to whether Arthur is the son of Thomas Wayne and whether his mother had a relationship with Wayne when he worked. This whole she worked at Wayne Manor. Um, it's up for interpretation, but my reading, I think Chris's reading too, was that. Uh, she, they, he is, is the son of Thomas Wayne, yeah. and that she was uh, um, at his behest, at Wayne's behest, um, sent to a mental institution. Yeah, I. This whole Thomas Wayne aspect con- complicates the film in a number Needlessly. of ways. Needlessly. Oh, oh, so Batman and Joker are brothers now. Yeah. Great. So we've introduced we're two sides of the same coin. It has to be brothers. God. I f- I wonder if there was some requirement for this film to instead of just being a movie that could almost be standalone from Batman delve to some degree into the mythos 
you know, the creation of having to shoehorn the creation of, of Bruce, you know, well, Bruce we Wayne. We've seen it in Gotham and it was already done badly there. Yeah, to, 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 to shoehorn that into this scene. Worse. But do I it mean, so badly because when we see Bruce Wayne, he's like, he's a blank zombie. Yeah. Like okay. the movie. Sliding down a pole, which was a nice stuff. Right, but the, but he has he has no and, characterization. And, and, and was that Alfred, the, the butler? Yeah, it was, which was Alfred. Even, yeah, Alfred. Who was a tool, by the Portrayed way. Portrayed yeah. as a dude. Bruce, basically, the entire family is depicted in a negative way. Um, Thomas Wayne is also Trump. He's this boorish guy, media. Great, great, great performance. Billionaire. Yeah. He, um, he looks so much like Chris Cooper, though. I was distracted. <laughs> no, he looks like... Okay, actually, yeah, I'll go, I'll go uh, with and, and also, And also, a guy like that who's so, like, so rich and so above thing would not punch someone like Arthur. It's hard to believe. You know, and like, like he would not, not be driven... No, no, but he would not be driven by... In the circum- so I guess in the circumstances, so portrayed as a t- in the circumstances, and he's portrayed as a terrible person. I believe he'd punch a mentally ill man claiming to be who he knows is his but son. The, but the thing if, is, like, if his interpretation but, 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 but is to be believed. Is like, yeah. If he's mentally ill already, and like it, what he's claiming is so far fetched, why would he not just dismiss him and just walk away? Like there was nothing in that scene that really riled <clears> him up for him to punch him. This whole this whole segment of the movie o- amounts to not really anything. Yes. I think well, it's there it, to it absolutely ad- was. It was because of. Uh, he was scared. He was worried that this guy would, re- would screw over his chances to become mayor. So he wanted to threaten him. He wanted to overcome him. No, 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 no. It makes sense from Thomas Wayne's perspective. Yeah. I just mean in terms of structuring this movie, like you said before, it's so unnecessary. It's just this kind of like... Yeah. Aha, here's another element. We're going to be smarter than all the other Batman movies. And it's not emotionally engaging to the same extent that the main just story of... Batman and Joker. Well, no, but the, but the main story of this film, of the Joker rising is more emotionally engaging than all of this retrofitted in Batman stuff. But like uh, I need to get, I want to get ba- I want to get back to the idea that this film is so, oh so clever because I mean it starts with just the name Arthur Fleck like you know the, the surname is Fleck which is like a fleck of dirt a fleck of blood. Yeah yeah yeah. And they mean literally that he amounts to nothing and I'm like oh so clever. A fleck. Yeah yeah. <laughs> Pretty much sad fleck or whatever bad fleck so there we go sorry sorry for all the bad fleck fans but you know it's it's even with those little things where the film is so trying oh so hard to be clever even with its naming conventions where it's like i was so turned off by its sort of in your face cleverness that like you thought we were not so clever but look what we did there you mean the moment where they reveal that zazie beats isn't real Oh, that's that, the moment that's, that's, that's the moment that reeked of it of like we were clever here's Ugh. our here's our like mind blow fight club moment where you get to see the, the scenes from earlier but there's actually but no one there so much more obvious then yeah. and we're gonna compare it again to the king of comedy such a better film where but it, it invites the comparisons yeah it does it too much actually a nice little aside for the comedy the scene at the very end of joker where he's running through the hospital ward is exactly the same as the king of comedy when he's running through the tv studio and running between the doors and yeah but the but to compare it to the king of comedy the king of comedy gave such a uh nuanced depiction of pupkin rupert pupkin, pupkin. Rupert pupkin what a name <laughs> such a such a nuanced multi-layered uh look at the way he functions as a person how he's like under stress etc this character Arthur Fleck is by design less interesting. He's a psychopath who decides to kill. Until that moment, he's he's deciding to try to please people. Uh, I mean, That's basically it. The uh, world uh, yeah. the world takes a dump on him, and he says, "Okay, I'm going to kill now." There's just not, but, but there's not much of a character. But but, but even uh, then, study there compared like the King of Comedy is so much more detailed, so much more nuanced, so many, many and contradictions. So tragic in a because De Niro still manages this weird charm while being creepy as hell. And, the, and you believe he can sell himself and get a, out of these, some of these situations and get around. But the King of Comedy is also about this guy's weirdness without um, watering it down 
by saying the world is so awful it made him this way. It has a criticism of the system that creates people like Rupert Pupkin without painting with such a broad brush like Joker does, which results in everyone being basically cartoon characters running around to make the Joker's story oh, happen. It, it shows levels of um, engagement with figures like the Jerry Lanka character. And, and, and it's very clear where he sits in this universe. Yeah, exactly. Whereas Joker is set in a universe where um, people, as you say, just mindlessly get swept up in viral currents. Like, um, because some people were gunned down, let's all claim um, association with a with a criminal. But well, like that, you need to really buy into some bad assumptions about people to believe that they would celebrate a murderer so much. But the worst thing about it is, is the terrible dialogue. And let's, can, can we talk about how terrible the dialogue is? Like, uh, okay, beginning when, so Arthur Flake has a mental illness and he goes to a social support services and a lot of the interactions in the beginning are with the social support services worker and Arthur Flake. And uh, when he's trying to describe how he's feeling, you know, all he gets in response is like, yeah, it's tense out there. But I, I People think that's are by angry. design. Yeah. You know? I no, think no, that's no, saying no. he doesn't get the support he needs. I know, I, I get that. But like, nobody talks like, nobody says things like this like yes it's it, tense out there people 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 want kind of revenge yeah, maybe those, those, you know, you're at the end of your job and you're those, angry maybe with if, your employer maybe you if you're, you're frustrated like, you maybe if you're device kind maybe of if you're like a hard-boiled voiceover yeah. guy yeah. <laughs> it doesn't make no, sense they, they, they do establish Tyler. that this person is at the end of their role and they possibly don't care and they're just going through the motions that's not unbelievable no 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 I'm not saying that that's I, unbelievable it's actually but not unbelievable I don't I don't see that people will talk in these platitudes I've never seen anyone like, you know, even even when, you know, things are actually left, like, let's say when you talk about the climate change protests or something, people like, you know, oh, yeah, young people are angry. You know, it, it, it just kind of reeks of like a actual somebody reading out a newspaper clipping. But it's making the point that he goes every week and possibly for a very long time and has been going through the same conversations and she has nothing else to say to him, which is that tragic clearly in and of itself. And that's part of the problem. The, the dialogue is so didactic. He even said at one point that I say, but do you ever listen? And I'm like, yes. Yeah, but the thing is like, that, like you, don't need to s- yes. you don't need to say it. Like you've already shown me that. But that's the problem with the film. The film is so intent on trying to be clever and trying to tell you these things and being didactic by really shoehorning in your face oh in case you didn't get it let me just put in that dialogue for you so you now you get it by because he just said it so now you have to get it i didn't mind i think that scene made the point well i think it's the experience of many who go through unfortunately those sorts of support networks um on the matter of how this film is stupid (laughs) 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 um for me it wasn't that joker was stupid was that the character was stupid in all the iterations of joker um, he gets where he is, th- does, because he's smart and calculated and methodical. In this, he's none of those things. That's made very clear. Everything that happens to him is by happenstance, by fortune. The um, deluge of supporters come up just around him. Yeah. He is a almost accidental um, leader at the very end. It's uh, it, it, that wonderful, wonderful scene at the end, which mirrors the comedy scene where he's live to camera in The King of Comedy, De Niro could do it with, as Chris alluded to earlier, such nuance. Wa- uh, Todd Phillips, Joaquin, Fe- Joaquin Phoenix is great, but I don't think the direction met Joaquin Phoenix there. <laughs> There's nothing that happened that Joker does that is a consequence of him being smart. And therefore, oh, yeah. it's he's all, it's not all. a believable foil for, or a believable villain long term. And tell me one that, one that this, at least this Joker, I do not believe is the one that could even remotely take on Batman in the years to come. 
Okay, I have a no. He's not. He's he's dumb. I have an yeah, even even dumb. harder. So take. why why not just before the super yeah, hot take that burns us all out? No, no, I just no. want to say. I, I think because you're going to say the exact same thing that I'm going to say. But anyway, l- I'll let you say it. So that. But okay. anyway, say it. Go for go, it. Go go, Chris. It's on you. Well, I why not just cut Batman out of the movie? Yes. Yeah, exactly. Batman. Make it exactly. make it a movie about a character in inspi- Arthur Fleck, who's a character inspired by Batman's The Joker, but re- but set it in New York City or, or whatever. Or even ha- have it be it. the Joker, but just not have Batman. Batman didn't need to be in the imagery but we've seen now through several Batman movies over several years, because people want to see a movie with Batman. And you know what? There are other DC villains out there. There are other characters. Joker's much more interesting figure to focus on. But I, I think Chris has kind of hit the nail on the head because I was exactly going to say this film. Would have worked so much better about just a character study about someone with mental illness, yeah, who who just you know becomes an accidental hero, without the Joker mythology. Because yeah. like you know this is not about the Joker. In fact, the Joker mythology in the Batman universe kind of feels it feels in. awkward because as Glenn just said, if you actually think about this Joker as being the one that we're going to see in the future, and the movie's asking you to do that by featuring Bruce Wayne and flash forwards later on. What flash forward? Oh, in the hospital, and like it implies oh. that he escapes and is smart and not really right, right. right. It's not really a flash forward, but it's just saying that the Joker continues basically. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the in Joker <laughs> continues. Yeah. In doing that, Joker will return. In yeah, that, that's what it is. That's yeah. what it says. In doing that, it's it's saying that, like it's tying it to Batman. It's making you think this guy is going to take on Batman. And if you think about it like that, it fall it falls apart because this character hasn't been created to be the kind of mysterious, what's he really thinking psychopath like Heath Ledger in The Dark Knight. This character is just like a a crazy guy who knows how to exploit situations. Now, you think about the ending of this film. Uh, we've compared it to the comedy, but a more salient one is one Chris actually alluded to earlier, which is A Clockwork Orange. The final scene is done with such nuance and so interest as Alex is this accidental hero and takes full advantage of the situation. There's a there's a great similar to taxi driver. Similar, yeah, similar to taxi driver. Imagine if the scene where Arthur Fleck is standing aloft on the car had been done with that level of nuance. Imagine if that yeah. level of we were discussing before we recorded this how incredible it would have been if a director like Scorsese, Circa the King of Comedy was making that moment on oh film. Oh my god! You would oh. it would have rang through with like the irony, the tragedy, the contradictions. Or Kubrick, yeah. As as it is here, it's just kind of like it's just kind of cynical and bleak. It's not really conveying any kind of deeper truth about how yeah. society works because the society here is so cartoonish that you can't. But there's no buy society. Into like, this. Literally, society is people with uh, clown masks. Yeah. There's I not even people. They're standing cardboard cutouts with actual. And part of the thing is, you know, even the people who put him down, they got the kids who kind of beat him up in alleyways. And they're like, yeah, kick him, kick him. I'm like, but but why? <laughs> like, you oh, know? no, that, that, that I believe. No, but like, that does happen. That, that, but no, that was it this, does happen. That, I, know, I know it does happen. And kind of thing. I'm not saying, you know, that that was not the 70s New York kind of thing. I don't know what they're trying to kind of evoke is that it was a time of crime and like you had to be tough on crime and there was a wave and everything else. But uh, I think it was just that those people were put there. And maybe what I was looking for was like everyone was just super horrible to this character. But. I just wanted one person to be not entirely horrible. That was mm. the universe. And we. And, 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 like, I, I, didn't, I didn't mind the film going in that direction. If, like, if they're going to create a world where everyone's terrible to this person, that's believable, unfortunately, and I can accept that narrative. It's What we're talking about distinctly is the world that was created around him. I don't believe that uh, he would become this accidental leader of this, of this community. And if he were to, it had to be dealt with with a degree of irony and removed by the filmmakers, which the director was not capable of evoking, at least at this instance. And that bothered me. <laughs> it's, I mean, do you find the way that these 
this world just gangs up on Joker believable. It's just no, such a one-note way I, I of showing. Not, and, and also, like, so I stupid. <laughs> I, it was such so stupid. Like, you know, yes, there are horrible people out there. But just even, even in a normal sensibility, like, it just kind of felt like oppression porn after a while. Yeah. Oh, you know? this hap- okay, okay. I absolutely believe like, that a person who will be lo- earning minimum wage supporting himself and his mother in a small apartment in the city that he finds depressing and has mental health issues. I can buy into that too. That, I love these uh, kind that, of that, economic, that, that, that economic you know, bleak dramas. Many people experience uh, I agree. Reality. It's just that the way that it's presented in Joker is so kind of like one note and um, oh, it I doesn't... Have a negative thought. Yeah. It, it doesn't have the nuance to it to say, oh, this is just a broken system. It's just like... Uh, hellhole filled with hateable people. Yeah, Travis Spickle is a much more real person who we fairly, yes, did get to know throughout the course of the film. We situate in his environment much better. We get to know the people around him much better. Um, like, yeah, just, just the people, even the people he works with. Like, you know, uh, like... They seem like real people. They, they, they did, but, you know, it, it just feels unbelievable for me, yes, that the, the kind of laugh that he has, which was, you know, part of the mental condition that is explained to the card. Uh, like the scene with the kid and and the mom, right? You know that was no nobody would respond like that. Can you stop being you know bothering my kid? What do you mean? No one would respond like that. As in the mother wouldn't respond like that. Yeah, like why not? Oh, excuse me, a, a, a strange cr- guy is like saying is like uh, intimating stuff at a kid on public transport. Uh, many parents would turn around and say, "Excuse me, stop chatting to my child." Something like that. No, that would they, absolutely happen. That happens me, every stop, day. Stop chatting to my child. It's just that, look. It's just in the context kid. of the well, movie. Of course they would. Guys, of course it's no, just no, in no, the no, movie. No, yeah, no, it no, can no, happen. Every day. I agree. No, no, it can happen, but it's just that it comes in the context of a movie where every single thing is the most negative way it could play out in terms of how things feel for working families. But even the language, like what you said, "Stop chatting to my kid" is different to "Stop bothering my kid." I believe someone would say, "Stop bothering my kid." I misspoke, but someone would say, "Stop bothering my kid." Like not of course not they somebody would. random who's like trying to make face, trying to make your kid laugh. Your um, kid is laughing, and you're like. Many people would say more extremes. Many people would say, uh, "Shut up" or just go away. Many people would be bothered naturally by anyone talking to their child. Many many people will take that disposition, no question. No, okay. I appreciate, but that is. I can buy it too. From everyone just heaping shit on yeah, the sky. Yeah, yeah, but which, but that's the thing, is, like, which is know, a separate problem. Which I appreciate the film. But it kind of it kind of felt like okay, shovel one, shovel two, and it, it kind of felt almost templatey, right? And when we're talking about Marvel templates, we're talking about strip templates, narrative arcs. It kind of felt designed in a way to like let's get him to a point, his lowest point possible, where he's literally a fleck of dirt because he's art of fleck. Where he's like, you know, the lowest possible, where, you know, he snaps and something snaps. This but it, it, everything in the script is designed in a way, it's put in there to get him to that point. This and, would and bother me only in the circumstance that, unfortunately, people who didn't have a lot of friends and uh, worked in these sorts of environments didn't exist, but unfortunately, these circumstances do exist. I think pe- many will find it relatable. And well, I don't I think I it's I unrealistic. I, I do, I do. I'm not saying that the, their issues and the kind of situation they're in are not, uh, you know, that they're not hard and whatever. But in, even in those r- situations, people manage to form real, lasting relationships. Not always. Okay. Not okay. always. Okay. Maybe. maybe uh, which, maybe. Is sad, which is sad. And it's Ma- not maybe I'm it's coming not, from too much of a place of privilege that I can't see that happening, but it's okay. I don't think, it's the, re- I think, I don't think it's the reality of many. I think it's the reality of some. And... Um, I, I don't know. It, it is something about the film that kind of felt by design to the point where I was just like, is everyone in this universe just a complete arsehole? <laughs> I don't know. 
it feels that way. It's that kind of one note thing that yeah. in order to create a negative, you know, show how the system's broken, you have to do all or nothing. There's no room for yeah, intelligence there was no, or nuance there, yeah, here. Yeah, exactly. And the, it kind of felt like, you know, if, if 100% of these characters... And then there was like this question about is this even a world worth saving like why why rise against the system because well, well, everybody yeah. even in this world in this system and in this universe is a completely evil person so why are they know, even riling up against what because caseworth wasn't an evil person she just got removed well, from no, his no, life no, but, no, but that's the thing she felt like an evil person because she wasn't listening she wasn't but only later in the piece it was clear that they had a constructive relationship that he needed her and then he was no, and well, she was gone. She was, she was just offering medi- you know, in one medication. That's about it. I don't think there was any kind of constructive relationship that they had. I think the movie is yeah, the clearly the movie doesn't kind of very both transactional. It's implied that they both set out to support Arthur and be conducive to I, I, Arthur's I, I th- well I think you're reading a very soft reading of that dynamic. It felt like she did not give a shit about him. Well, he certainly relied on her. Which is the which is the medication and not no the no. Support. But he wanted. No. He was very clear. He wants someone he can talk to, throw things. And, off. and he was very clear that he thought that she didn't offer him that, but and uh, that she was a complete dick about it. But that was later. Uh, it was clearly much later in the relationship. It's clear, clearly <coughs> been spending a lot of time together. Uh, we talked a lot about the negative aspects of this movie. I'd like to talk about one of the positive ones, and that we mentioned last week about the performance of Joaquin Phoenix. He's great. One aspect we didn't touch on is uh, his movement in the film. His dancing oh, sequences, oh, the, the, the physical, way he flails physical, yeah. his limbs and legs, uh, especially during the musical sequences where he thinks no one is watching, doesn't care if no one's watching. It's marvellous. And we need dance in more films. We need movement in more films. I, I, and I, he yeah. achieved this great effect. I, actually, you're right. Um, and that was difficult to say. Now that I think about it... I like that it brought that vaudeville kind yeah. of aspect of the character yeah. a, a little, into it like, a bit. literal clownness to it. Like it's, it's yeah, coming you know, on TV as a clown and entertaining yeah. people. Yeah, and also just, just you know, literally, you know, he's like you know, putting on his braces and literally the white feet kind of way that he's walking, yeah, Chaplin-esque kind of walk, and the, the mo- way he's running. The like movie the, 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 kept the, the, the run up when the he movie knew he didn't have the shoes on. Did a yes, decent yes. job. I'll uh, get. I'll uh, give the, the movie the credit that it did a decent job in showing how this guy came to embrace uh, this clown attire. Yeah. And it kind of create this persona uh, for himself. And, 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 and you could really see that when he it says did successfully when, do when, that. when he would get fired from his job about being a street sign twirler or whatever he, he mentioned. <laughs> was like when he mentioned sign twirler. Yeah. Sign twirler is probably the, yeah. the correct term. <laughs> when he when he mentioned that he really loves his job. Like you could see because he physically did become the clown. Like yeah. everything about him physically changed. And he's so convincing yeah. in the hospital and scene where he drops the oh gun as well. Yes, where he like he doesn't skip a beat and trying to cover that up to the gun. kids. It's a fake gun. Don't worry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like and the, the the finger to the to his lips. And, and, and the, and the so other, funny. The other thing is his voice, and this is one thing. That <laughs> and the nurse is like, um, yeah, we should. Uh, and and, and let's so. And the other thing, Congress. Yeah. I think you said that. Yeah. I think mm. when we were talking offline. Yeah. And it's the other so thing was the voice, which really surprised me. This this very, very. I don't know. His physical form. Yeah, very, very. F- oh my God, sort of dedication. Sheepish, but also squeaky kind of tone to it, which is, which is creepy, but also incredibly disarming. Like you know, like at no, at no point, like it's so soft spoken to the point of being a whisper. But but you know, you kind of see the point where it's he's he's so underconfident in delivering. Like at any point, he speaks to any kind of person. Which was an interesting way. So yeah, I think Phoenix brought so much to a this Joker pap- is pitiful. Paper thin. That's yeah. something you're touching on. Yeah. He's he's uh, disconnected from everybody yeah. and feels put upon by the world. Yeah, and uh, he yeah, I'm, I'm but he surprised. is also as well. Yeah, and tragic, sad. Yeah. Because like even the gag of the laugh, like you know, it kind of feels like this, it's done too much. But Phoenix really sells it. Where 
even though it's done too much, you kind of still ride along with it because of his convincing delivery. And it's delivered in different ways. Like at every point, like for example, the subway scene uh, before the before the Harvard and the, the Wayne employees are killed and how that laugh transitions into you know, <laughs> those different emotions while he's laughing was wh- fantastic. Whenever he laughed, I, I it was actually in the respect I couldn't help but think of Heath Ledger's laugh. I mean, it's still right. a, a different, a different it films. It it's still a better performance, um, the one from 12 years back. Yes. But I, that was actually a little distracting for me. It was just a little too similar to the tone of but, but still Heath Ledger cast such a wide shadow that I think it's just hard not to compare things in this to yeah. I'm still very happy that <coughs> Phoenix was able to bring a different level of physicality to the role, which was so different and unique. And, you know, it's it's so hard to do. So, I mean, I mean I'm mean, i still not entirely convinced, especially with Jared Letter three years ago, that we even needed the new Joker film. No, that's right. The thing about this film reminds me of something I was saying when we were reviewing Into the Spider-Verse last year, which is, it, with regard to that film, I was saying, okay, it's great that we got a interestingly directed, uh, experimental in its visual style animated film out of America. But the only one we've gotten in a long, long time involves Spider-Man. Involves Spider-Man. We've seen you need to attach again. it to and a brand. Who's, who's back in Marvel, apparently. Now. Yeah, exactly. Um, and brands that, that are long. F- have already hit saturation point. Batman's one of them. Reminder that a few years ago we had the Lego Batman movie. Both of them. There were two. Really? Lego. There was. There was a. Another. No, so it was another Lego. Yeah, there was another Lego. Lego yeah. Batman was at least two films. It's enough. No, Lego Bat. Yeah, he was in. He was in. Yeah, but he got his own film. You know, but like that's that's the kind of crazy level of saturation point. It's not not just the Lego brand. It's Batman brand as well. You know that <laughs> they've gone that far. It's enough. Make something else. Um, but here it's like we were talking about Hollywood today making the king of comedy. You won't get that. You won't get something similar to it, unless it's associated. It's so so. I just I loved watching it last night. It's so so funny. Yeah, it has it's to be associated with enough. a with a brand. And it's just a shame that everything is getting diluted through a few brands now with that risk averse. That the, the ri- it's like we're taking a big of enough of a risk in making this kind of gritty crime drama that this film aspires to be, that it has to be tied to a comic book to mitigate the risk. I hate it. I, I hate it too. And I, I, well, I appreciate access to this film. I would recommend seeing it simply for the two lead performances alone. I, I'm not, I don't relish it. I I would be so much more excited for even if it is a comic book adaptation, just someone we don't know, or haven't seen before. Someone who isn't the Joker or Joker or Batman or Spider Man or Iron. Man. <laughs> enough, enough. We're done. Enough. We're done. Yeah. So, yeah. So that is Joker. It is in the cinemas. We're, now. Ju- we're just we're just getting tired of talking about Hollywood films. Yeah. yeah. I think that's that's where we're at. Hollywood is really bad right now. And it never makes us happy. No, I mean, what what are the big releases <laughs> this year? Um, Rise of Skywalker, Joker, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Once Upon a Time a- in Hollywood, Back to the Trend. Avengers. Avengers. Um, there was a... Ma- oh, yeah. Uh, that was this I, year. I blocked my... What, what, other, yeah. actually, what else is coming up? Oh, I mean, Ad Astra was all pretty good. What else is coming up that's... I mean, I mean, everyone the, but I think the I think people Tiger are. Tiger Waititi movie is oh, oh, Jojo yeah, Jojo Rabbit. Rabbit. Yeah. Um, I I think every but yeah. that is still slotting into that almost indie segment, you know, lower budget. That it's not like a big Hollywood release like no, Joker. But, but I, I guess now Tiger Waititi is Hollywood mainstream now. After Thor, yes, yeah. On in Sydney, it's on the twenty first of November at. Guys, this movie could win Best Picture. 
Jojo Rabbit without having seen it. It just it's hit t- ticking those boxes of what I know they like at the Academy. But yeah, the whole <laughs> just don't go there. Hollywood it is could it absolutely could and totally I, could. I, I, this is what it's like. I've seen a, 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 a Twitter, no Twitter many Twitter storm separate to Joker on Jojo Rabbit. People who haven't seen it, look, I'm wait till you've seen. Wait the till movie. you've seen it. I agree. We can speculate, but. You film, can. I, film, I think it's your valid. Film, film Twitter is the worst. Place yeah, on the planet. I, I think you. You know, you can look at a trailer and say that looks dumb, but I think when it comes to getting really riled up in your position about a film, you should at least wait until you've thought about it a little. And the only way you can really engage with what a film is saying is not by reading about what other people think. It's by having that experience with the film itself. Feel the choices of the filmmakers. There's a lot of what they communicate to you. And people are not talking about Joker because they know it's just going to get wide, wild reactions either way. Warner Brothers banned press from the red carpet in um, uh, LA because, but I, I d- kind of don't blame them. The whole situation's just ridiculous. If they if they don't want um, people on the red carpet getting mugged with questions about mass shootings, it's understandable. Yeah. That because um, this was about a week before they made that decision, Joaquin Phoenix walked out of an interview to talk with well, the Warner Brothers PR person in order to answer a question about what he'd do if this inspired violence. And I don't blame him. It's like there are so many violent movies all the, out all the time. There are movies that have been made about um, about anti-heroes and also about unsympathetic protagonists. Yes, that's been rare in Hollywood, but this film makes it pretty clear that the guy is meant to be read as unsympathetic. And yet for some reason... It's being singled out. Actually, can I just, just comment on this? I've done a lot, a lot of interviews, and there have been a few times when someone, I've asked a question, not necessarily a controversial one, and someone has stopped and said, excuse me, um, I'd like to come back and answer your question in a minute. That's fine. This happens in interviews in every industry all the time. Wagyu Phoenix oh, yeah, really it's just said, deal. excuse me, I'm just going to consult with someone. I just want to make sure I got my words right. Came back and answered the question. This is standard. He should not be copying flack for it. It's really No, he shouldn't be, but also the question's ridiculous. I also would think like, you're just setting me up for oh, <laughs> for agree. a soundbite. It's, it's you know. Yeah, the, 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 let's come back. Let's, sh- let's take time out to address the issue than exactly. the way it was phrased to him. I agree. And but like this whole thing got um, brought up in so many absurd ways. Entertainment Weekly ended their Venice review saying that they would take if they basically liked the film, but they said that they wouldn't give it a letter grade because of the violence that it could tragically inspire oh or something God. like that. Oh, it's like, dude... There's a lot more violent movies that happen all the time. No, but this it. one, but you're going to love the Joker and want to kill people because he does it and he's cool. But, I mean, but look, that, that's part of, part of... Actually, that brings up the point that I've been struggling with, uh, well, recently, with whatever discourse we have, is are we now, when we're critically engaging with films, you know, is... Is that element of how it's going to impact society, blah, 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 uh, really seeping into our critical engagement of a movie and how it should, you know, we should respond to it? And it is becoming I, a big part. I, 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 I don't, okay, I think it, you read a lot of the criticism of Joker and people couch a lot of their commentary. I won't say they're guarded, but they couch a lot of the commentary in knowledge of this, whether this be how people who react on social media or reviews itself. I don't think it's beyond critics. And certainly, I think some of the, um, reviews are more valuable when they do account for um, wider societal trends and how a film might play broader and socially and how it works in the current social zeitgeist. But to speculate on matters which uh, certainly film critics and commentators and uh, general commentators are not experts on and which are um, very disconcerting to a lot of audiences, um, 
can in the wrong context be quite irresponsible yeah but it's also it, it's dumb on so many levels <laughs> like it, it's I, a thought i've had is it validates what the um trumps of the world are saying when they try to blame media because he singled out not only violent video games but also some film that uh, was ended up being cancelled that called The Hunt or something like that? Yes, The Hunt was one that was... There was a trailer that came out earlier this year, and as I understand it, the film was being it's called... It's a political it satire. A24 release, and as I understand uh, Universal. it was a film... Yeah. Was Universal? Yeah, it's a oh, low-budget movie, that uh, studio movie. I think it was a Blumhouse Studios thing. It was Blumhouse, excuse me, Blumhouse, yes. And I, as I understand it was about a group of wealthy, elite persons who hunt poorer people in an expanse. Meant to be a political satire, but as since Trump's been elected, we're now in a world where satire doesn't exist anymore. Um, on the matter of <laughs> some of the media commentary surrounding this movie, um, I've actually been kind of frustrated with how Todd Phillips has responded to the controversy or whatever. Some of the comments I don't think we said he's smart, but can you blame a person for saying some dumb thing? Like, we shouldn't. He Maybe he's just not so media polished. Like, I don't want to... The woke people won't... Like, I think, yeah, what he said is stupid... But I'm more interested in going after the media <laughs> than going after him because it feels like that's what everyone's doing at the moment. And it's like, give this guy a break. Yeah, I mean, a lot of this was um, charged by the families of the Aurora victims but commenting the, in the letter prior the, to many having the opportunity to see the film. But that started to... I, I feel like the media engineered the story because the media started reporting on um, mass shootings in with regard to this film, which then prompted the Aurora people to talk as if they are now relevant to this situation. Really, they're not. I do think it's it's um, relevant to have discussions about violence in film. And I do think that you can argue, for all that it makes this guy unsympathetic and you don't come away from this film thinking you want to be like Arthur Fleck, that, yeah, on some level, this movie does glorify violence and giving, like, the big cinematic moment to when he shoots Robert De Niro in the head and, things, and you know, the kind of satisfaction in some level in this arc, even as it's tinged with horror, of seeing him become... The Joker and stab people in the eye and such. You can say that, like, you can argue that Full Metal Jacket a lot glorifies less violent well. film than most comic book films. Yeah, you can argue that that it. Um, in fact, I think I think the moments of violence did were not telegraphed as much. They happen as bursts of you know yeah, things that. Yeah, it is meant to be a shock. There's a horror yeah. element to it. So um, but I but you know you can say yeah. like you can say Full Metal Jacket accidentally or intentionally or not glorifies war. Right, you, or Apocalypse Now. You can have these kind of discussions. If but you tune in to look up our earlier discussion regarding the uh, Robert Duvall character in Apocalypse, Apocalypse Now. Now. Yeah, Very exactly. Yeah, much more yeah. nuanced. Exactly. Um, uh, but like, what is the end point of it, right? Like, it's it's an infinite regress of like something will yeah. inside anything. But know? yeah, I, I think Todd Phillips actually. Some people have ridiculed him for this comment, but I think Todd Phillips actually did stumble upon something true when he said, "Why is no one going after John Wick 3? The thing about, yes, it's different. The violence is depicted realistically and Joker is a character who you are meant to get to know, but to some extent that, um, and to have some sympathies with, but to some extent that's designed to make him um, more pitiful, The way all the ways that you get to know him more. Whereas John Wick 3 is a video game about how awesome it is that Keanu Reeves shot 500 people and split a few of their heads in two. You know, like... Why not go after the Matrix? Yeah, why not go up, uh, say, all these movies normalize violence and they celebrate the people who perpetuate it and my movie tries to show the, the consequences I, again i don't think the joker is I smart enough to, to pull this off but no i think and and, and, and you know and the, the limited violence that there is actually it's not gratuitous yeah i mean it is it is shocking explosions of gore but it um 
but it makes sense in the context of the narrative. It it's does. It's not just, here's a violent scene. Um, and it's the several, with the exception of the Martha and Thomas being killed, which wasn't necessary, which didn't no, need to be in stupid. the film at all, um, the, the, the way an employee's killing um, has consequences of the narrative, as does the killing of his former colleague the, in the yeah. apartment, as does the killing of his mother. It's only a few killings in this killing movie of Murray. compared to most Hollywood movies, and we generally see the aftermath of the shock moments, and the whole movie is basically about this guy's boiling and when's he going to snap. It's, And to be clear, he's never betrayed us someone you want to emulate. That's what I was going to say, yeah. He's, if this, if this had been... tragic, sad, pitiful... If he'd been like the Heath Ledger Joker, uh, and we had these moments of killings, then I think you could say that this <laughs> the way this movie was oriented... Like by making a Dark Knight movie, except focusing on the Joker, and like giving him moments of triumph when he when he murders people, um, when he shoves Rachel out a window. Exactly when he shoves Rachel out a window and when he blows her up, right? <laughs> but um, but this movie isn't that. In order to create this boiling kettle thing where you sympathize with the character, they made Joker more pitiful. They focused on the ways that he he is completely an outcast. Yes, some people. Some people might see themselves that way. I'm an outcast. I've been put upon by the world. That's where all these fears of like incels are going to go and shoot up sprees after this movie come from. But Joker is still fundamentally because because he's a psychopath. He's so removed, right? The fact that he doesn't even know what's funny, um, and the way you like you don't ultimately want to be this guy. The movie I think is is just about giving you the release of watching him it's like a horror movie no. sometimes you cheer for the villains even though you don't actually want to see people get killed because that's the way that this thing's structured but it doesn't mean we're celebrating I, I, serial I killers been, yeah. it would have been so much clearer if at the very end it had that king copy occurrence moment that philip's yeah. really going for it was muddled um it wish it had been more clearer i think this movie it wasn't not going for yeah i think that. the movie is playing on current fears yeah. it's not meant it's meant to be an expression of that like this can happen yeah. uh, but i i Again, I don't think it's all that successful at yeah. these things. But, but, also, but also, like, it's playing current fears almost in a newspaper headline kind of way without any actual serious indictment or serious engagement. Yeah, which is typical beyond, of Hollywood. Beyond, beyond a, you know, tagline. <laughs> yeah. Which is part of the problem, you know. And, and I think part of the issues, as we've already discussed, is the media narrative, which has made it into a much more... Uh, you know, seriously, much, you see the much, movie. much more dangerous movie than it actually is. It's yeah, not, it's, it's it's a pretty vanilla safe well, movie. Well, what I found strange about the whole thing is, when we think about mass shooters in the media, what do they want? Attention. The media put up massive telegraphs that we are interested in the Joker in relation to mass shootings. So, I mean, it's great that there haven't been any mass shootings, and I'm not saying that this kind of thing is any one person's fault, but if you don't want mass shootings to happen don't create a media furor about it because one day if you keep up that kind of activity someone's going to take advantage of it because they know know the spotlight will be on them it's a, i'm very disappointed in how the discussion and discourse has in, ensued over this film i mirror what chris said earlier um if you are interested in this discussion or in the film generally um go see it you know i mean and again, but the thing is when you watch the movie you and again and again I would only say it's really worth seeing for the performances, but if you are interested in this overall, then it's there. It's in cinemas. Um, yeah, but but when mind. you watch it, be prepared to think. After all the furor and the hubbub, that's it. That's it. Yeah. It's so, just not deep enough for this level of eyebrow raising and fist shaking. But maybe that's probably right. Where Hollywood movies have become so safe that any movie that even engages with any kind of alternative narrative or provokes any kind of thought 
is automatically deemed dangerous. Yeah, this movie is so much more complex and nuanced than what we normally. Well, okay, hang on. It is in from, from it is in some ways from it is. mainstream Hollywood films. Yeah, yeah, it's just not nuanced enough to do justice to what it's trying to do. Yeah, yeah. purely for the storyline, which we actually haven't really gotten into regarding Arthur's lineage and the relation and the consequences it has for his mother. But mm. having said that, this is this is a lot more complicated than you get for a lot of Hollywood films a lot less complicated than we would hope for the Fuhrer that has um, subsisted. That is Joker. It is in cinemas now. The King of Comedy, Taxi Driver, and you will never really hear are available to seek out. Yeah, we, d- we didn't mention how Joaquin Phoenix's relationship with his mother just reminds you of you were never really here. I know. And I, uh, Scary was, killer guy lives at home with his mom. I was just thinking, I'm like, there's already a better film about it. But you were never really here. He's so film. goddamn better good. Joaquin, Joaquin Phoenix, Phoenix as a loner who loses his mother acting out and being violent towards terrible people in a society that has wronged him and everyone um go see that movie (laughs) and and at the same you'll never really hear also manages to glorify its protagonist more while also making you question him yes it's just good direction you know that it like it it, for me it's it's like sorry to kick that movie in in the face once again but it's like what i was saying that i wanted swiss army man to do like (laughs) taking you into the the head of the protagonist so that you can see the world through his kind of like pure good and evil kind of way of looking at it. like his delusions while all suggesting enough that it's always complicated uh, throughout the film anyway um, you never really hear it's great and so sorry man is on netflix we should also note if you want to seek it out you're allowed to say it's great i was expecting you to say oh no, 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 man I, is great i have my introduction at the very beginning that's which true kind that's of, true uh, that's true so, okay. <laughs> I guess that's what direction is. Like Todd Phillips is Todd Phillips, and yeah. Lynn Ramsey is Lynn Ramsey. How, how do you Lynn handle Ramsey a moment? A director. We, yes, we, we, that's exactly right. We, we know this. She is the better. Imagine Lynn Ramsey directing the bit where he stands on top of the. Oh my god! The car at the end. Give me that movie. Absolutely. Yeah. Give me that Joaquin Phoenix performance. Actually, he was better, and you were never really here. Yeah. yeah. I think I think he hasn't been given enough to do, and so actively ticks are kind of running on the rampage in this movie. Like he's trying really hard all the time. Yeah, he probably will win Best Actor for this. He's really good, the but f- the physical maybe De Niro. Was, yeah. Maybe De Niro. No. No. You know, actor? No, the Irishman. Oh, right. Okay. No. It's kind of like a career summation, right? Uh, Back with Scorsese doing a gangster movie, which is about being an old man. Anyway, well, we can play Oscar prediction all day. We'll be seeing Irishman, was it November 27 on Netflix? November 1st, it's going to be playing at the Ritz. Oh, everyone, go to that. I'll just double check and, that. And Marriage they Story just is announced on, it. Wait, marriage November, Story is on wait, November 1st, as in Friday, November 1st, or the Rugby World Cup semi-final night. Seriously, is it Rugby World Cup third place playoff night? Seriously, it's on for a week. It's not just. Oh, good. Okay. Well, yeah, I'll be going after the rugby. Uh, but yeah, that is the Irishman. November seventh, actually. November seventh. Okay, good after the rugby. That's yep. fine. So, and Hustlers is in cinemas right now. No one's check out, and we'll be back next week and soon talking. If you have a film you want us to fight about or talk about, surely we will talk about the Irishman in coming weeks. We're definitely on that one. But if there's another, just let us know. This has been Glenn Falconson, Chris Evans, and Varat Nehru. Have a wonderful night or whatever time you're listening. Enjoy the movies. Oh, the movies. Oh, the movies. Why don't you go and make a movie in the woods with pieces of garbage? (laughs) All you critics trying to, you know, trash the movies. Why don't you go and make a movie yourself? I'll just go hide in in the woods outside of my my crush's place and make make the Joker Make my own better version of the Joker with with <laughs> sock puppets. We'll record our next episode there. <laughs> It'll be so quirky. Hello, Mary Elizabeth Winstead. We'll, we'll cut it to indie music. Yeah. Anyway. Hello, Mary Elizabeth Winstead. You're gonna make a par- you're gonna, you are a film. You're gonna make a parody of Society Man. Oh man, <laughs> it's like 
But I Swiss wouldn't Army waste Man, the effort on that film. It's okay. <laughs> Swiss, Swiss Army Man is a parody in itself. We don't need to make another one. It's Swiss Army Man's it's weird, man. <laughs> it's profound. Good Pro- night. It's profoundly weird. <laughs>